A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 241 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me like a good astromech that serves every ace pilot, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Yes, that's right, folks. I'm the astromech that nobody wants. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily true. Like, I, I think X-Wing pilots value their astromechs. <laughs> oh, sure, they value their astromechs. Their astromechs. But if I'm bouncing around from pilot to pilot, then I'm no one's astromech. Oh, that's true. That's true. I'm going to wind okay. up being just as disgruntled as Chopper. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call you tumbleweed. <laughs> well, here at Stars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we take a look once again back over the previous year of Star Wars publishing. This episode, we're going to focus on the television, films, games, and the uh, other stuff. So consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of all ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right, and we are going to start here with, of course, the big one, which is movies. Not big in terms of length of the category, but big in terms of what people know of Star Wars from 2018. And that, of course, was the release in May as opposed to December, as in the case of the previous three films. Uh, but in the case of the original six films, we have Solo, A Star Wars Story, getting its theatrical release. Um, personally, I saw it in 2D and 3D, so had both experiences in the theaters um, Mark, your thoughts on a solo for this year? Well, you know, I think the one thing about, so I say one thing, like there's only one thing that I had a problem with. I had a lot of little tiny trivial things going in, but I think for me, the biggest one, the one that I felt like it was time to move beyond was the May release. Um, I, it's a bad time of year for me. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. So getting time to go see a movie just wasn't in the cards. I, I went and I saw it with my son. I went and saw it with my dad. And that was about it. Uh, you know, I, I saw it a couple more times by myself. I saw it in 3D. I saw it in 2D. Um, the cast, you know, I said going in, I wasn't really sure on Alden Aldenreich. I wasn't seeing Han Solo. Now, that said, almost a year later, 
I'm having a hard time not seeing him as the young Han Solo. Um, I've the more I watch the film, the more I enjoy the film. Uh, the more I appreciate the nuances of everything. I love the tie-in material for this. I mean, none of it's been bombastic, but it's all had its own little tiny things, and I've, I've liked the direction of the characters. I want to see more. I'm in that camp of hoping that we maybe get a solo sequel, even if it's in the name of Calrissian or, or a bounty hunter or something like that, where Han just plays a, a side role or something. I... I think that's the thing that I'm most excited about after this film is the potential for more young Han and, and young Chewie stories. Um, Chewbacca, you know, timeless character. So I absolutely love the character Chewbacca. Uh, Donald Glover as Lando. I thought that was a brilliant casting choice. And the character came to life just every bit as epic as I was hoping it would be. Um, L3 was a character that I fell for and immediately thought was just a fun character. It was I've always been a fan of sentient droids and owners that allow them to be. Um, you know, I mean, we really haven't seen much of how a droid gets served. You know, we still hear, well, they don't serve our kind. And aside from like an oil bath, I'm like, well, what do you want? I mean, what do you really want? I'm kind of hoping we see or hear more of that at some point. Um, the aspect of seeing the Falcon at, at its young, pristine and all that and how bad Chewie trashed it in such a short period of time. I'm, I mean, it's an amazing thing. But I think for me, when you think about everything that is Solo, the successes and the failures, I think most of the failures come from it being the May release. Um, you know, there was a chunk of it that was people being worried about the casting choices and stuff like that. But I think the May release is a, is a big chunk. And then you have some backlash from The Last Jedi where people were pretending like there was a big boycott and stuff. But I really don't think that that really factored in. I think there was a perfect storm of little things that made it harder for that film when it came to the financial delivery. But again, unlike The Last Jedi, the more I'm watching Solo, the more I'm enjoying it. Yeah, this is one that I was very questionable on to begin with. Um, I was leaving room to be surprised but certainly was not all that excited conceptually going into it, though the trailers helped ease some of that. Uh, like you, the casting was probably the biggest thing that was bothering me going into it. Um, I definitely think that uh, now, right, I can sort of see Alden Ehrenreich as a young Han Solo. But again, I have to sort of keep that dividing line, as we talked about when we talked about the, the movie on the show in depth, um, between yeah. the idea of there's young Han Solo versus young Harrison Ford. I will never believe him as a young Harrison Ford. Yeah. I will believe him as a young Han Solo because it's a character aspect, and we've seen plenty of recastings uh, in sci-fi fandom before. Uh, right. You know, Woody Harrelson played a great Woody Harrelson. Uh, <laughs> Amelia Clark played a great herself which wasn't a whole lot really to it um just in the sense that i've never really seen her as the as the big powerhouse that a lot of folks do after game of thrones um i thought uh, the liner performance by glover was fantastic albeit a bit childish haha <laughs> get it get it childish, childish i'm kidding i'm kidding i was just making a bad joke um so i think he came off very well so it, like you it's one of these films that the more i watch it the more i'm enjoying it and what's tending to happen with Star Wars films, at least really from the prequels onward, because the other ones I was experiencing as a kid, so there was like that joy of childhood and all that kind of stuff. But right. with the prequels, in many cases, it was like the more I watch them, especially these days, the less positive I often am on them. But not in a huge change sort of way, just kind of a, hmm, okay, sort of way. Almost and cynical? Some, a little bit. 
to some degree, I think the shine came off of The Force Awakens that way for me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm finding is with Last Jedi and Rogue One, I really kind of see them now duking it out for my top slot instead of it definitely being Last Jedi. But in a lot of ways, Solo was the film that broke my ranking system. <laughs> because I'm sitting here and everybody's like, like my, on my YouTube channel, probably the there's probably like two questions that are like the ones that I get the most. One is, hey, have you seen – and they'll ask me if I've seen a Star Wars film. And I'm like, well, given that my channel has all these videos on it, hundreds of videos on it, and most of them are about Star Wars, I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Almost positive. <laughs> um, not have you seen this release, but have you seen the movie? Yeah. Yeah, I have. The other one is, what's your ranking of the Star Wars movies? Constantly. And what I've always answered is that, well, in recent memory, is this idea that sort of I have a tiered system. And usually it's a couple of films on a tier duking it out for that position as to which one's above the other. But they're definitely above the next two, who are definitely above the next two and so on. And Solo for me kind of breaks that because it's a question sort of of what am I really rating? Am I rating the the epic impact on the story, in which case Solo has to be near the bottom? Am I rating it for sheer fun uh, of the film, then that's going to be a completely different position. Am I rating it based on, um, you know, surprises? Am I rating it based on what would I put in now if I just wanted to pop in a Star Wars film and watch it? What is my go-to film right now? They're all kind of different ways of looking at it. I almost think we're getting to the point where there are so many Star Wars films that an actual ranking system really shouldn't exist for most fans, that it should be more like, you know, best of the Lucas films, best of the Disney films, or best of the episodic films, best of the a Star Wars story films, et cetera, et cetera. There's got to be some other way of looking at these uh, rather than trying to rank these films that all have a very different flavor. Because in a lot of ways, while Solo was not very controversial, it was not very um, so not surprising in a lot of respects. It kind of played it safe, whereas The Last Jedi was very much about not playing it safe. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a polar opposite. That also means that it's just it's just difficult to to define, you know, uh, and and it kind of throws into stark relief. How is how is it that we're going to try to rank these things in the future? It's just not an easy thing to do. Um, and everybody reads into it how they would rank the films, mm-hmm. and it's like a personal judgment type of thing. I, I mean, I was getting flack. For the idea that Last Jedi was my favorite Star Wars film. I had people congratulating me when I said that it was it's now kind of a toss up between that and Rogue One. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. It's no longer your favorite film. What are you congratulating me for? You self-important douche nozzle. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just, just really? That that's 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 your that's your perspective. Uh, Great, terrific. Um so yeah, so it's one that's getting better the more times I see it. Um I enjoyed it to begin with, but I just kinda I'm getting into the rhythm of it. Um, it's the first live-action Star Wars film that Cade saw, mm-hmm. and he enjoys watching it, too, even though he has no idea surely what's going on. Right. So uh, that's that's fun as well. Second one he, quote-unquote, saw in utero, but uh, the first one <laughs> that he actually uh, saw, saw. Definitely just a fun entry for Star Wars. And, and then there was the mall connection. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I was not expecting that. Um, I remember you and and Michael, Michael especially was like, people are going to see something, they're going to freak out. And I was like, when that moment happened, 
I, I immediately wanted to turn to you because I'm like, where in the hell is this movie placed? Because I at first I thought it was after Rebels. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, how in the hell is he alive? And then, you know, I, I did talk to you and you're like, no, this is before. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know why. For a whole half a day, I was thinking, why would they place this after Rebels and then bring in Darth Maul? That's going to blow so many minds. Like I, was, like, I have no idea why I couldn't put those pieces together and, and catch on to what was going on but i will say though when i watched the last jedi there are aspects about luke and what's going on with luke's past and what's going on with the jedi and stuff that like i'm still processing whereas when it came to solo there was very little of that aside from kira herself and the end when kira goes off to work for maul i watched that and i and i feel like I understand that scene, but I, at the same time, I feel like there's so much more going on that I feel like there's part of that character and, and the interactions that I'm not quite 100% sure on. And I got some closure when I was reading through the novelization because of the way that they go into Han's head and even Kira's head when all that stuff's going down. Um, but but I think like her character is the one aspect of the movie where I'm kind of like... I want to know more. There's still some mystery there. You know, what are her motivations and stuff? And it kind of makes it kind of tragic when, you know, you think about the fact that all through the movie, Han just wants to get back and get to her and save her. And then at the end, he realizes that she has changed. She's a different person and he can't save her because it's not the same Kira anymore. And he has to let her go. And I mean, the book really nails that point home. And man, it, it almost made me get a little misty eyed. And, then, you know, I've, I've, I've joked about the aspect of here's Hans Dice, says Force Ghost Luke to Leia. I know, you know, they mean a lot to you, his ex-girlfriend and him having that connection with these dice. So here you go. Like, but. There is something about that character that I want to know more. I want to see her have more run-ins with Han down the road. Uh, you know, I, I I hope that she is a seed that we will see come to fruition down the road. I mean, you know, Amelia Clark could play in a lot of different type of shows. I mean, she could go live action TV. She could do more movies. But the fact that she's young enough and versatile enough that they could continue to utilize her, especially considering, you know, this was a, a flashback. And if they utilize her again at some point later, I mean, naturally, like with Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, she's going to age progressively like the character moving forward as well. So, you know, the sky's the limit in that angle. I, I think that that's cool, too. But I, another thing I want to touch on, how you were talking about how thinking about a young Harrison Ford and, and having that mindset and helping to kind of digest the different versions. What's funny for me is when I think about legends, Han Solo, right. And, and when he's old, I had an issue when, when they first were like, yeah, we're, we're coming back. We're doing seven, eight, nine. And I was just like, Oh no, please don't get our originals. You know? Cause I, in my mind, I always saw Dennis Quaid as elder Han Solo. Like for some reason that the way the covers always made it not look like Harrison Ford. I just slowly progressed in my mind to envisioning Dennis Quaid in all the books as Han Solo. So it's funny because then going back to this and then trying to get out of that idea of a young Harrison Ford was so hard. Yet I could do it so easily when it came to the books. The only things I would add to this are one don't worry that you didn't do the math correctly when it came to the timing of Solo upon first seeing it, because neither did the writer or editors of Last Shot. <laughs> and then, uh, two, just be glad it wasn't the other Quaid, because then we'd have a refresher was full jokes all over the place. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, that brings us to television. And we actually had quite a few things. If we are going to count 
digital episodes of stuff as effectively television, although in many cases these are things that then air as well on television. So we had basically six things. We had Rebels Season 4, its end and its home video release, but we'll talk about home video in a moment. This is from the episode Jedi Knight up through the finale, which was Family Reunion and Farewell. We then also had Lego Star Wars The Freemaker Adventures Season 2 on DVD. Uh, the season and DVD, I believe. Um, we had Resistance with the episode The Recruit, which was the pilot episode, up through the episode Station Theta Black, the episode where they remembered they were a Star Wars show. So that's 11 episodes <laughs> um, and 12 <laughs> web shorts, basically. Um, what's true? We have Lego Star Wars All-Stars, uh, which is a Lego series with eight parts on YouTube that then I guess was put together for five episodes on television. That's one I actually haven't watched myself yet. Uh -huh. uh, we have Star Wars Galaxy of Adventures, which is airing on the – well, airing, quote-unquote, in uh, the uh, Star Wars Kids channel on YouTube with its first 11 episodes in 2018. There's been more since. And then we had Forces of Destiny wrapping up with its second season of 16 short episodes, which were combined eight at a time into volumes three and four for television release. So mm -hmm. Rebels, Forces of Destiny, Galaxy of Adventures, Resistance, and two different Lego Star Wars series all in 2018. Yeah. And, you know, this is the beginning of that plethora of in this individual market. I mean, I, I think the one thing for me is this is when I realized that my days of that, that Pokemon got to get them all were definitely up because I have a hard time when it comes to these, the Lego star Wars stuff. Um, something about it just, it almost gives me a headache when I'm watching it. I, and I don't know why, like, I, I don't think that they're all doing that stop action like the movie, because that was clearly what was giving me a headache with the Lego movie itself. But the the aspect of it being so cartoonish and stuff is something that just it's it's not my cup of tea, which is fine because it's totally my littlest cup of tea. You know, she'll watch those. We can put it on and it's one of those things like it's in the background. And I'm not having to watch it. Whereas like, you know, you get rebels on there. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm burning up hours of the day because I can't pull myself away from the TV. But I think that that's part of this, too. Like, I still haven't really gotten into the resistance. Um, I'm about to do a binge watch of it some point this week because I realized there were so many episodes. I'm like, all right, now now I can sit down and just burn through it. But like, think about the uh, the Freemaker Adventures. There is, you know, season two. I didn't think we needed a season two. I felt like season one delivered everything it needed to do. The show itself was in that quasi place of like, well, you know, we're doing some things that are canon and we're doing some things that are really weird. Like, how can a kid use the force to create ships like that? How do you explain that? Like, the, so, but again, it's that aspect of I've got to break down that got to catch them all mentality and realize that not every single thing Star Wars is aimed at me. And that's fine. Uh, but when you think about Rebels, I mean, and you think about that season, that is some of the best Star Wars television out there, man. That is that is some glory-making stuff. I mean, I love some of the early Clone Wars and some of the middle Clone Wars and some great Clone Wars stuff. But season four of Rebels and these episodes specifically were some of the hardest-hitting episodes. And granted, I think that that also comes into play. Like, if you were to just play this one season, I don't think you're going to get out of it what I got out of it, watching the three seasons in front of it. Because 
that season is just a creme de la creme, man. I just absolutely love it. Forces of Destiny, um, it, it's in that same camp as the Galaxy of Adventures where it's fun. It's aimed at a younger audience. They're quick. They're easy to digest. But it's not something I feel like I need to have on DVD or Blu-ray on the shelf with the rest of my collection. Um, I mean, I think in that regard that the breaking off of Legends really has helped me. I mean, I, I there's a lot less that I feel like I have to seek out and make sure I get it all now. And these are those type of things that it's easier to let them go. Whereas back in the day with the legend stuff, it was more like the RPGs because that's where it really came down to how much money do you want to throw at things that you don't already have. And I pretty much had it all. Now we're in a different market where there's so many things coming. It's like, well, what do I want to really invest my money into? And honestly, the Lego Star Wars stuff and the Forces of Destiny and the Galaxy of Adventures stuff isn't stuff that I am going to monetarily want to support because it's just not something that I get that thrill out of there are other things i'd rather have some black series stuff let's start getting some uh, uh you know some play sets or some walls and stuff that i can decorate those with but i think that for me you know the television side of thing is really what's pushed me back into my studio you know i mean when when there's nothing but rebels and the resistance show and i'm not watching that right now you know there's not really much else for me so i go down and i tinker in my studio play with my uh, figurines redecorate and so on and so forth binge watch some of the clone wars and stuff like that rewatch the saga yeah this is definitely a mixed bag for me um again like i said lego all stars i haven't watched i will probably watch it soon with cade but i haven't touched it um forces of destiny i mean you know, we've talked about it before, kind of is what it is, short stories that don't really matter much in this grand scheme of things that have some kind of screwy episodes now and then, but mostly just meh, kind of okay. It was cool to see Hondo show up in the series and give him a connection to IG-88 and Kira. That was kind of neat. And we got a few other nifty little moments in there that made some of the episodes feel like they were a little more meaningful than others, though, again, valedictorian of summer school and all that. Um, I think that it's one of those series that... It's just everything with Forces of Destiny just didn't do what they wanted it to do. The comics didn't know what the hell they were. Some of them were adaptations. Some of them were um, news stories. The, the little – like the kids' books, at least they kind of knew what they were, but they were all just rehashes of the show stories uh, with some little interludes in between with Maz. The show itself didn't really have much to say with its episodes or much story to tell, and the product line apparently died an ignominious death. So in a lot of ways, for me, it just didn't really work. But again, I wasn't the target audience. I still wonder – or well, wondered what the actual target audience would have thought of it with the target audience being young girls, but you told me that yours were not all that interested in it. Um, so it's just kind of one of those things that's there. Um, it was an experiment. And it was an experiment that really didn't do much. It just kind of there. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as Star Wars Galaxy of Adventures on YouTube, I watched a few of these, and these just kind of boggle my mind. Because on the one hand, they are some of the most badass Star Wars animation I've ever seen. They are right. so cool looking visually. Um, they even top the Tartakovsky micro series in a lot of ways. They are really cool looking. I'd love to see a full-fledged Star Wars animated series with this style because it's almost leaning towards anime. Right. On the other hand, is trying to get kids into Star Wars and whatnot by showing these famous scenes and, and sort of drawing them in and, and letting others relive their favorite scenes. But in, in, in one hand, that means it should be kind of like, well, I'm just seeing scenes I've already seen before. They're just animated. Why should I care? That's actually why I didn't watch it for a long time. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, they're not really sticking to canon in many respects. Like, <laughs> granted, it's the first episode of 2019, so it's not officially apropos for the episode. 
But I think about the episode that has Luke and Vader on Cloud City. Mm-hmm. So I've seen The Empire Strikes Back hundreds of times, I'm sure. Uh, at least a hundred, probably hundreds. But with Luke going out the window and falling and catching himself and getting up, I seem to recall that he then sneaks his way inside cautiously. And the next time we see Vader is when you hear his breathing and his blade turn on as he immediately attacks Luke with no preamble this time. And the fight then continues there onto the, the walkway. I don't seem to remember that as soon as Luke was trying to pull himself up, Vader jumping down from the higher level in a freaking ground pound video game attack <laughs> onto the, the catwalk down below. I don't seem to remember that as part of the movie. What level of canon is that? Exactly. That was the video game level, right? Isn't oh, that like God. what happened in uh, Revenge of the Sith when Anakin jumped down to chase Mace Windu down out the window? <laughs> yes, something like that. I mean, it's it feels like it's a video game thing. I mean, it's a move straight out of a video game. And I get right. that they want to stylize these, and that's part of what the appeal is. But at the same time, it's kind of one of those, hmm, you want to draw people in by reliving their favorite moments, but you're altering those moments. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about Cade. He's going to watch this. He's going to see these bombastic (laughs) scenes, and then he's going to watch the movie and go, dude, the best scenes are crap in the movie. (laughs) This is so boring. Why do Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fight like old men with sticks? (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, But then again, he could say that after seeing the prequels, I'm sure. But it's just kind of one of those things where, um, you know, I really think it's cool. I think it's a great way to draw kids in, but at the same time, it's just weird that they take these weird liberties with canon from time to time that look really cool, but have you sitting back going, okay, canon levels, canon levels, just got to ignore it. Just got to ignore it. It's way adjacent or something, yeah. right? right. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, then, of course, we had Freemaker Adventures. I thought the first season was pretty good. The second season, um, it was all right. I think the first season was stronger, but I thought the second season was decent enough. Um, they so do nothing... in the second season. I mean, exactly. The first That's season the was question. all about getting the crystals for the saber and putting the saber together. Do, do we have an overreaching plot for season two? There was. I'll be damned if I can remember it right now. <laughs> but yeah, there there absolutely was an overarching plot. It was something with like the ship or something. Um, <laughs> so so it was all right. Um, but then of course we have the main series, Rebels. Those last episodes, once they came back with Jedi Knight all the way up through Family Reunion and Farewell, oh my god, they were amazing. They were some of the best Star Wars we've ever seen visually uh, as as, as television, movie, whatever. These are fantastic episodes. Really hits you in the feels many times. It does a great job of linking it to what is to come. Um, That said, the only aspect of those last episodes that had me going, come on, can we just back off on this a little bit? You probably know what I'm going to say. It's the freaking wolves. Mm-hmm. I get the symbolism and everything. And they're tied to Lothal. And on watching it a second and third time, you know, they grew on me a little bit. But I mean, for the love of God, what? Did Dave Filoni have his first time on like a, a wolf skin rug or something? And he just <laughs> constantly goes back to that memory? Dude, the fetish with the wolves. Just chill with it a little bit, please. <laughs> At least now maybe he's got it all the way out of his system. So maybe we're not going to see wolves show up all of a sudden on the ocean world in Resistance. But good lord, that's a lot of wolves and stuff. Uh, true. Magic it's wolves. True. Though, I mean, otherwise, I mean, I think it was a fantastic ending. And again, I, I sort of mock the wolves because there was a lot of it. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, they were handled fairly, fairly well, looking for sort of that mystical, natural connection through the Force. So I joke about it, 
I think it was a little over the top, but generally speaking, they were handled fairly well, certainly not as heavy handed as as it could have been. Um, then we got resistance. And Resistance, like I said, took a long time to remember it was a Star Wars show <laughs> uh, because most of the episodes could have been any generic sci-fi whatsoever. And aside from Star Wars music, you really couldn't tell it was a Star Wars show. Or, hey, here's a guest appearance of Poe. Or, hey, here's an episode that had nothing to do with Star Wars. But we're going to add this little like 30 seconds at the end of the episode with a First Order character so you remember, oh, you're watching a Star Wars show. And I get the idea was a slow burn. We want to build up these characters, right? A mature style of slow burn storytelling. In that sense, it's like they were trying to do what they did with sort of the first season of Babylon 5, where it was sort of little episodes that felt self-contained, but all these seeds were being built that will not only explode by the end of that episode, but some of them were seeds that were planted for years to come. Babylon 5 was masterful with that. Joe Straczynski is amazing at doing that sort of thing. But Joe Straczynski wasn't playing in a universe that already existed yeah. or around films that already existed. Um, and he wasn't doing a kid's show. So what we got was kind of this show that tries to do this slow burn. We're slowly building up to this stuff that's going to happen later as we get to Station Theta Black and then some of the later episodes that really do have a heavy Star Wars theme. But in doing so, gave us just this really meandering tale that felt very generic along the way. Um, even with great guest performances and guest appearances by certain characters, it just really felt generic for a long time. And it's hard to take seriously the the uh, adult style of, of uh, slow burn, we're going to build up to this storytelling, when you've got, you know, uh, Kaz who runs around a corner and flails his friggin' arms like Goofy. Mm -hmm. Right. Like he's a freaking. Well, he is a cartoon character. Right. Um, more like a Looney Tunes cartoon character than a Star Wars mm -hmm. cartoon character. Um, uh, he basically it, it's like Kaz went to school on Naboo, but he didn't learn from the Naboo. He studied with the Gungans mm -hmm. and Jar Jar taught him like posture and ran his physical fitness class in all the gym classes. So most of his mannerisms are Jar Jar-esque. Um, I get that that's the style and that they're going for a slightly younger audience with that. So while it's something I make fun of and it kind of bothers me a bit, it doesn't really detract that much from my interest in the show. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they took such a long time to get to the point and to actually build up to feeling like it was Star Wars, that bothered me because you need to hook people early on this stuff. Yeah. If they're a, if anything other than kids who are just watching whenever the TV happens to be on um, like Kate is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just, you know, it, it's it's. They built – I mean the whole season was basically, yeah, here's what's happening. The First Order is paying off these pirates so the pirates attacks to be able to convince uh, the guy in charge of the platform that, yeah, you actually are going to need uh, the First Order to come in and uh, be your protection. And that will give them a foothold there so they can use that for their later activities, and then surely they're going to betray the pirates later. That could have been like an episode or two, four mm -hmm. tops. Instead, it was the almost the entirety of the first season. Mm -hmm. Um Certainly the entirety basically running as like background within all the episodes we got in 2018. So now that they're actually doing Star Wars stuff, I think it's going to become – I mean it's got a lot of potential. I think that now Niku as a character uh, feels less and less like um, Drax to me. So he's cracking me up almost every episode. Um, it's a series that definitely has potential, especially now that we know the characters – to some degree, there's still characters who are around all the time that in all these freaking episodes where nothing happened, we didn't get to know. Mm -hmm. um, but there's so much potential there.
that I think that season two is going to be a real blast to see us. And the end of season one is going to be a blast to see. Um, it's just one of those shows that in what we got in 2018, it's really hard to recommend it. But mm. in, in 2019, I would recommend it. And that would require going back and watching the other stuff to really see the buildup and get introduced to the characters in the way that they were formerly introduced. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, it's, it's almost like Aftermath, right? The second Aftermath book and the third one I would have recommended, but really understanding them to the degree you need to does mean you probably ought to go back and read the first one, which I wouldn't have recommended by itself. Same kind right. of deal. So going out of TV gets us into home video. And uh, I must say, if I may, there's a couple of points in this episode I'm going to have to kind of do some plugging, so to speak. That's not meant to be plugging, but it's kind of a for more information see sort of thing that happens to be stuff that I've done. Uh, if you're into Star Wars home video stuff, be sure to check out my book, A Saga on Home Video, a fan's guide to U.S. Star Wars home video releases, um, comprehensive for U.S. releases going up to the 40th anniversary. You've also then got my YouTube channel where I cover all these different releases, including these all as they are released. Uh, over at youtube.com slash chrono radio on a series called from the star wars home video library so we're talking about it here in a way you can't see but whether it's the pictures in the book or if it's in this case since it's all newer stuff than the book if it's on the youtube channel you can actually see thoughts on these and actually see the products that we're talking about in depth in stuff that uh, one of us has put together it's just not on beyond the films um so in home video stuff this year we had the home video release of Rebels Season 4 on both Blu-ray and DVD, but no complete series set at all this time. <laughs> we saw Freemaker Adventures Season 2, also no complete series set that would have combined Season 1 and 2, but moreover, no Blu-ray. We also saw the home video releases of The Last Jedi and Solo, which, by the way, with Solo makes it the first time we've seen a year in which a Star Wars film was released on home video in the same calendar year in which it was released in theaters. But that's because the last three were released in December. So, of course, yeah, yeah. theirs came out the next year. It's also the first year ever, unless you count the special editions, that we've ever seen two Star Wars theatrical films get their home video releases for the first time in the same year. Again, because this is the closest we've ever seen Star Wars theatrical releases outside of the special editions. Um, there are, of course, other firsts that we'll get into with Last Jedi and Solo and such for this year. Um, but those are our four big ones. Rebels Season 4, Freemaker Season 2, Last Jedi, and Solo for home video. Yeah, you know, with that one, there's not really much to say. I mean, I, I wish I had Season 4 uh, bought and paid for of Rebels because, God, I love that. But I've got most of it on the... Uh, the on demand still that I recorded it solo. Like I said, I love it. Watching it on Netflix, watching it on my digital copy. Same thing with the last Jedi. It, it's been a unique transition, slowly moving more and more of my stuff digitally. I wish now that I had the original saga digitally as well, because I only have the newer stuff and it kind of depresses me. So is there anything else particularly of note this year, my man? Uh, well, so for again, rebels, uh, no complete series set. Freemaker, no complete series, and no Blu-ray. Last Jedi? Last Jedi was the first Star Wars film to ever be released in 4K on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray. So that is a big, big deal. Um, we saw a 4K regular release that included a Blu-ray copy and a digital copy. We saw a Blu-ray release that included a digital copy called the Multi-Screen Edition. The 4K one was called the Ultimate Collector's Edition. And we saw a DVD release by itself with no digital copy, but uh, it did have 
Disney Movie Reward points. And then we had an exclusive at uh, Walmart, which had some interchangeable covers. It was Blu-ray, DVD, digital. Uh, as I recall, it's been a while. Uh, we had um, a Disney Movie Club exclusive version that looked like the regular Blu-ray, but also included a DVD disc that was not in the regular one. Um, also came with a little miniature lithograph. Disney Store had a big lithograph. Target had an exclusive um, that had some extra content on a little DVD that came with it. And Best Buy actually got two exclusives, both in the same steelbook, one of which was 4K Blu-ray digital, the other which was Blu-ray DVD digital. What you'll notice is not mentioned there anywhere is 3D. Uh, Blu-ray mm -hmm. 3D is dead for Star Wars and actually for the bulk of the, the Disney stuff. No MCU stuff coming out in 3D either. So if you want a Blu-ray 3D copy of any of the newer Star Wars or MCU films, you're going to have to import them from somewhere. But thankfully, most places like uh, Japan and the UK, where you can easily get them through Amazon.co.uk or Amazon.jp, um, those are re all region discs, which is the equivalent of re region free in the sense that you can play them in any player. So just import the sucker and you're good to go. Wait, hold on. So, so, so there are 3D copies, just not in our region? Correct. Correct. What? There are 3D copies, not in our region. And in fact, in the UK, not only are there 3D copies, but remember how with Rogue One, the only way to get 3D copies was to get from certain retailers in their exclusives, but there weren't any wide 3D releases? Yeah. In the UK, they're still still doing wide 3D releases all the way up through Solo. You can just get what? a regular 3D release anytime you freaking want. Why? I I don't get I don't get why but we it, draw these the lines. The market is just supposedly dead over here. It's supposedly collapsed so, over here. And now um, you have yeah. 4K, right? I mean, you do. You bought the 4K Last Jedi and Solo, and you have a player and a TV that you can watch it, right? Yes. Uh, we've got uh, we have a Sony um, 4K television. Uh, we do the 3D thing either on the little PlayStation yeah, Sony yeah. TV I've got or our PlayStation VR headset. But um, for 4K, we had a nice big Sony television, and we actually play our 4K discs not on a dedicated player, which apparently are already starting to die off, but on um, an Xbox One S that we bought okay. specifically for it. How how different are we talking the quality? Because, like, DVD, I didn't think Blu-ray was going to be worth a hoot, right? And then I saw it. I was like, holy crap, okay, I'm a believer. <laughs> then I saw so, this face. <laughs> I guess it's, oh, that's, that's, that's apropos with uh, Peter Tork having just passed away. Um, so he was one of the monkeys. Anybody else watch that show when they were kids? No? Okay, yes, great. I, I, um, <laughs> so it depends. Um. You'll find that the biggest thing with 4K is the bigger the screen gets, it still stays pretty clear. Um, and HDR is a big draw, which is a high dynamic range, um, which is basically uh, brighter brights, darker darks, like the gradients between the far ends of the spectrum. There's more gradients in between. Um, so in a lot of ways, you know, when you're watching a dark scene, it's crisper feeling. Um, brighter scenes feel brighter and a, bi a bigger difference. But honestly, I would have to say that, that in essence, the leaps have been smaller and smaller as we go, right? So there was a pretty big leap between VHS and DVD. Right. And the leap between DVD and Blu-ray was still pretty big, but not necessarily as noticeable as VHS to DVD. Blu-ray to 4K is another smaller feeling increment. Um, the human eye and our ability to actually detect differences, we're getting so close to the limit of that that it's very difficult to spot it. Um, it definitely looks better, but if you ask me to give you, say, a scene of comparison, I'm not sure I would be able to look at two side by side and necessarily even tell you the difference. Other than that, as I'm watching it, 
there's a there there's that crisper feel to it, but I couldn't pin it down in many cases. And it's um, not it's something so, where it's more the camera, right? It's not like with 3D where it's got to be filmed in the 3D effect. Well, even to get the even effect. 3D doesn't. Most 3D films don't even get filmed in 3D anymore. Uh, most 3D films are conversions after the fact now. Um, uh-huh. uh, like, like that's how Top Gun got a 3D Blu-ray release that actually looks really cool. Um, yeah. I watched it in 3D. Um, but it what's happening now is that a lot of films, the masters are in even higher than 4K. So they wind up sort of scaling it down for either Blu-ray or 4K or whatever it happens to be. Oh. So it doesn't really wind up making a difference because the equipment being used in the creative process before it actually gets set up for home video is already beyond the capabilities of those players anyway. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so definitely it's definitely nice to have it in 4K. And usually 4K discs are often going to have like the Dolby Atmos soundtrack, which is about the best out there. Mm. Um, but it's one of those things where unless you're really a heavy video file or audio file, that's P-H-I-L-E you may not see much of a difference between Blu-ray and 4K. Your mileage will definitely vary much more than in the previous jumps between um, uh, generations of, of home video stuff. Um, so Solo, basically wow. the same type of setup. Um, Solo had a steelbook, not two, from Best Spy, but that was a, a 4K Blu-ray digital. Uh, Disney Movie Club had a Blu-ray DVD digital exclusive. You had the regular release of the multi-screen edition that was Blu-ray digital. You had the regular 4K Ultimate Collector's Edition, which was 4K Blu-ray digital. You had a regular DVD release with Disney Movie Reward points, but no digital copy. Uh, Target had a nice 4K um, bonus set that had some extra content that was digital this time with a separate code. Disney Store had a lithograph again. Disney Movie Club had the small lithograph again. And then you had Walmart. And Walmart took a dump on their exclusive for Solo. Right. Because in the past with the previous films, it was uh, The Force Awakens. Here's this uh, cool droid uh, Velcro opening up package slip cover. And it has like a special uh, little coin game piece for that Star Wars, whatever it's called, game. Um, and then here it is for Rogue One, kind of fo- following the same pattern. Now, here's the one for Last Jedi. We completely throw that out the window. And now it's these interchangeable covers. OK, but at least it's still a cool exclusive. Then the, <laughs> the Walmart exclusive for Solo was, hey, look, it's a Blu-ray copy. We're not even giving you a friggin' digital code. It's just a friggin' Blu-ray copy. <laughs> so their exclusive was to give you something that was worse than the base level purchase for most people pretty much anywhere else. <laughs> Oh, that's super. I'm like, the hell are you doing? It just, it, it boggled my, and it's the hardest one for me to get too, oddly enough. Um, I was just like, really? You're not going to include anything? Oh, really? man. And they've done that with some other ones like Infinity War too. So it seems like they're doing that, I guess, to kind of get towards the bargain level. Um, but it, 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 it feels less like a bargain and more like bargain bin, if you know what I mean. Right. No, I, I feel like when it came to the, the films and the home video, we need to have that the more you know moment. <laughs> <laughs> what the? I heard that and I was like, oh, he's going to have to pause and we're going to have to restart. But like, no, he did it intentionally. <laughs> oh, oh, I guess I should also say with Solo, um, and you can tell me what that more you know moment is. Um, but with Solo, I almost forgot. Um, if you ordered from Target, but you ordered it through... Um, their website with the Red Club card, which is the Target credit card, um, you mm. actually could get a little red metal model of the Millennium Falcon that was exclusive to Target just for red card. Not, so not Target exclusive, 
but well, Target red card holder exclusive. What? Okay, I gotta look this up. Wait, it's a red mo- Wait, like it, like what, a little what are we talking mo- here? You know, like the little the little packets, little flat packets you get. There are these little metal models that you fold together. Okay, okay. Of different yeah, ships. Yeah, got the AT-AT it, It's the Millennium Falcon from Solo, except it's red. Oh, I gotta just see this just to see it. Falcon model. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? Like, what is this? It's not super impressive. It's just the fact that you know the only way to get it was with a red card. Um, oh no, that is so cool. It, it's kind of like it was kind of like you know it, it had the feeling of getting something that was exclusive to Loot Crate. Only you realize it's too late to sign up for Loot Crate or something, or right? the Disney Movie Club um, little mini lithographs and their exclusives, and realizing I'm not a member of Disney Movie Club at this point. You know, yes. you've got to join to get it. But thankfully, most of our shopping is at Target and the five percent discount. You know, it turns yeah. out that really makes a difference when you're dealing with diapers and stuff. Almost a diaper crap, but that'd be kind of redundant. That is cool, but that is way too many hoops for me to get there. Anybody out there that did those hoops and they don't want this, send it to me. Like, that is cool. It is. I'm looking at this thing. It looks cool. Like, I, I now I'm curious. Do they ever make this version of the Falcon in the regular metal? I got to find this. This looks awesome. <laughs> I have no idea. I still I still need to put mine together. I purposely ordered two different copies through Disney Movie Club so that I would have two, one to put together, one to keep pristine to take pictures of for the book. And I just did that by ordering an extra copy of the original Spark of Rebellion release of Rebels because there's that ghost model. I'm like, well, if I'm going to do yeah. it with the Falcon. I might yeah. as well do it for the ghost model too. I I haven't put the ghost together because it's paper, and I'm like, dude, I'll screw this up. But but you've got this, and you haven't put it together. You slacker, get on it. <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. Um. So what's the the more you know moment? Oh, just on the 4K. Like I just thought that was interesting. Like you, you've broadened my horizons all the way across. <laughs> good, good, good to know. Um. And I should say broadened his gaming horizons too, because you know who that uh, that my original Xbox One that didn't do the the 4K Ultra HD Blu-rays went to went to Mark. So that's right. There you go. Which and we're gonna get to here in a moment with Battlefront 2, because that are. happens to be the system my son bought the game for. Nice. Which brings us to video games. There's only one to hit before we hit Battlefront 2, because there's not much in terms of video games. Um, but again, let me step back and say we're about to enter. Video games and tabletop games. I have a whole podcast that I do with Michael Morris, who's actually the flagship guy. I'm kind of tagging along for the ride. But me and Michael Morris do Cloud City Casino that goes in-depth with Star Wars games uh, of all different types. Also on StarWarsReport.com, right alongside Star Wars Beyond the Films. Uh, I also, for uh, all of the Fantasy Flight game stuff we'll wind up talking about, have videos of those materials as I purchase them, as they come in. uh, And I pretty much pick up all of them. Uh, they're on the YouTube channel again, youtube.com slash Corona radio. So again, this is stuff we're going to talk about, but if you want to see it, there is stuff that uh, is already up on the YouTube channel. If you want to check it out. Uh, and if you want to go more in depth with this stuff, then cloud city casino is where you want to delve into it. Cause that's where we really kind of get into the weeds and get lost often. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like you listeners are on the Titanic and you're looking ahead at the second airborne division website and what you're seeing is just the tip of the iceberg there's a whole bigger iceberg ready to tip the ship <laughs> not sure if comparing us to the iceberg's the best thing or not um <laughs> so getting into the video games the one game i wanted to mention prior to battlefront 2 is jedi challenges so jedi challenges is that ar augmented reality not vr not virtual reality game you can still see your real surroundings it's just as if it's overlaid with the real world that's ar not vr um a game called jedi challenges um you put on the little headset uh, the mirage headset 
from Lenovo. You put your phone into it, and basically it plays out a Star Wars game that then is reflected down onto some clear uh, visor-type screens in front of your face, and you can see uh, projected, quote-unquote, characters as if they are in the room with you in sort of holographic form. I'm actually going to put up a new video on the YouTube channel sometime soon when I get around to it that shows the material again and some of the newer content, but there's already a video up of a lot of the older content that I've got on there. But mm. they did a lot of updates for Jedi Challenges back in 2017 near the end in doing stuff like uh, you know, adding the ability to play against, for instance, the, uh, uh, the Praetorian Guards in a two-on-one battle uh, nice. in the lightsaber duel section. Um, they added more multiplayer modes, including a spaceship against spaceship kind of commander combat mode that's only multiplayer aside from the tutorial. Um, then it's some good stuff. They added a dark side expansion that lets you play as basically um, uh, Kylo Ren going mm-hmm. up against Luke and Yoda and Rey in Ooh. lightsaber duels, which is pretty cool and gives you different powers to unlock and whatnot. So that game has expanded since we probably talked about it last with new content for The Last Jedi back in 2017, but then also with this dark side expansion. Uh, it's all that is free content on the app, but you have to actually buy the gear to be able to use it. So um, in that sense, it was originally a $200 game. It is now in most places a $100 game. Um, the get the app now also has an AR, augmented reality, thing you can actually use without needing the headset that's totally free, where you can basically point it at your table, and it's like you're playing Dejaric on your table um, a little bit, which is kind of cool. Um, but the biggest thing uh, to come out most recently with that and honestly, I think it was in the latter part of 2018. It may have been right at the beginning of 2019. It all kind of blurs together for me now um, right. since we're already into February. But they've released a second lightsaber controller based on Kylo Ren's saber Ooh. from the sequel trilogy. So you got the Kylo saber that has the extra blades coming out the sides, the extra uh, guards kind of exhaust things coming out the sides, along with the Anakin slash Luke slash Rey saber from the original core game. Although that saber itself would set you back a hundred dollars. So it's now, it's probably why they reduced the cost of the base game in many places down to a hundred dollars. Cause now for the same cost of the original base game, you're also getting that second saber, but no, you can't play multiplayer yet. You have to have another headset. Um, Mm. if you decide to dive into this, I think it's really, really fun. You get a nice exercise out of it, especially on the lightsaber part of it. But bear in mind, you want to go on their website, double check and make sure your phone can handle it. Because it's not compatible with all. It's why I upgraded from a 5S, an iPhone 5S, to an iPhone 7 so I could do Jedi challenges um, back in the day. And it's been uh-huh. it's been fun, and they are continuing to add to it. So you're not having to pay for any new game content if you already have the game. It's just if you want to get the, the extra Saber controller. And all that it is is a different controller that you hold, really. Nice. That one looks good. I actually uh, for Star Wars Report, Bruce uh, got sent that and got to play it and has it. Got looks sent like, it? yeah, he got one. Well, it got sent to Riley, and Riley was like, "I got no time for this, Bruce." <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm living in the wrong state. <laughs> we'll talk about us getting, you know, early copies of books for review. We're getting friggin' video games, man. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, But speaking of video games, we also have the big one, the only one, really, when it comes to console games at this point for Star Wars, which is Battlefront 2. Now, it is not a new game in 2018. It actually came out in 2017. But they had this promise that after the 
uh, stuff that went on with the paid DLC and the pricing of it and whatnot back with the original Battlefront uh, of this new generation of Battlefront games from EA and DICE, they were going to put out new content for Battlefront 2 completely free. They would find another way to monetize it. And they've continued putting out that new content completely free. The monetization blew up in their face because basically you could buy crystals with real money and use those crystals to uh, sort of artificially advance your character to a degree. Um, so they, they took that completely out of the game. And it was in 2018 here, as we got into the early part of the year, where they had a complete revamp of the progression system so that it didn't rely on the mechanics that allowed that to be exploited as a pay-to-win type of thing. Uh, and then also we later saw a revamping of the monetization design so that now it's primarily uh, unlocking new skins for characters, new looks for them, cosmetic stuff that is not gameplay related if you want to spend real money. Um, there's not any new story content for Battlefront 2 in 2018. The last of that was the Resurrection DLC that was added to the main uh, campaign story with Aiden Versio and such, uh, which is at the end of 2017. But quite a few new modes and such and new characters were added. We had the Ewok Hunt mode where you're either playing stormtroopers that are almost blind at night or you're playing as the Ewoks trying to kill them, uh, which is fun. Uh, you had the Han Solo season introduce stuff like a Kessel mode, uh, a hero... Uh, eventually, we got a hero ship mode where you're definitely always playing as the hero ships against each other, kind of like heroes versus villains, just in ships. Hero showdown where it's kind of a last man standing type of thing on teams. Uh, you had uh, Lando's Millennium Falcon get added. The old Jabba's Palace map from the original Battlefront that was so popular got brought in. You can now play Galactic Assault and such on the Battle of Geonosis. Um, General Grievous is in the game. Obi-Wan is in the game. And a ton of new skins are in the game, uh, the, with the first legendary level skin being Bush uh, attire for Leia that also includes new audio. Um, for me, though, this was the year that I gave up on Battlefront <laughs> because to a degree, for me, it was just one thing was just it, it lost my interest because it felt like I was just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And the stuff they were adding since they weren't adding new story content just kind of started getting old to a large degree. And... Then came sort of the 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 grindiness, I guess. Like, here is a new costume. Oh, you're a completist? You want to get this costume? It's a cool costume. Oh, we've just hyped up this update that's coming, and the main thing is, say, Grievous or Obi-Wan, these new characters that you want to play as. Maybe that'll draw you back into the game after not playing for a while, because now you can play with Clone Wars-era stuff. Check out Grievous and Obi-Wan. You jump into the game, and it's, oh... But it's going to cost you so many credits to unlock them that you'll have to play for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to have any hope of unlocking even one thing. Right. So it's kind of one of those things where they're trying to basically make these so – and you can't unlock Grievous and Obi-Wan. To be fair, you can't unlock them with crystals. That is just constant grinding and playing the same stuff you played constantly in the game, and ain't nobody got time for that at least that had already started to, to, to drift away from the game. Really, the hardcore players are still diving into it, though. Um, but the cost of the like just the cosmetic things are so high in terms of game credits that it's a lot of grinding for something that's just cosmetic. But it's so high also that it's meant to kind of make you say, screw this, I'm just going to spend some money. But at the same time, the monetary prices are also kind of expensive when you translate the number of crystals to real money. So they brought back monetization in a way that doesn't affect the gameplay, 
but also still seems a little over the top when it comes to actually getting any of these skins and whatnot. But again, a lot of that is because I wasn't really all that interested in playing anymore, so the idea of grinding for all this stuff didn't appeal. Maybe if it was back when the game first came out, I would have been like, hell yeah, I'll grind for this stuff, but not anymore. Of course, for me then, um, for the second time in a year, or a year and a couple months, because it was out of freaking warranty, um, I had a PlayStation 4 Pro optical drive die this year. Um, I had a PlayStation 4 regular model. I eventually upgraded to a PlayStation 4 Pro when I got the PlayStation VR because it adds some extra crispness and speeds up some loading times and whatnot. And right around the time Battlefront 2 was about to come out, you know, down goes the optical drive. It won't read any discs anymore. As mm. I have that off to get fixed, I'm getting extra pay from having extra students. So I decided to drop the cash on actually just replacing it so I can make sure that I can deal with Battlefront and do live streams and stuff as soon as it's out. Um, so when the, re the fixed one came back, it sat around as basically a backup in our living room. Well, I'm glad we had the freaking backup <laughs> that was fixed because then two months out of warranty, the one that we bought as the replacement, its optical drive started doing the same thing, had to be sent off. We had to pay like 150 to 200 bucks somewhere in there oh. to get it fixed, which is basically half the cost of buying another damn PS4. Ridiculous. Um, and now it's in working order and it is essentially sitting there as our backup. Oh. So uh, I guess the lesson is go digital if you're going to go pro. Um, but after all of that, I was like, you know what? For all the space that Battlefront takes up, it was the biggest hard drive space hog on the PS4. And I've got a ton of games on there, and it was the absolute biggest. It just wasn't worth sucking up that much space for a game that I had no real fire to play anymore. So I finally had to sort of call it quits. I'll follow the news on Battlefront. We'll report on it and discuss it on Cloud City Casino. But for me, this was the year that the Battlefront interest really died. And it didn't help that it was it was when I put in the Battlefront disc to actually tr go in and try to play some more and actually try to play some of the new modes, even though I was grumbly about Grievous and Obi-Wan's cost, when the optical drive died. That was the disc uh. it refused to read before it started refusing to read anything else. So it was kind of like, damn you, Battlefront! <laughs> so, so yeah, ironically... All free stuff except the costumes and stuff for Battlefront, so they're keeping that promise. Nice. Ironically, I too stopped playing Battlefront 2 in that year, uh, for different reasons. Uh, my son, when he got Battlefront 2, he talked his uncle into getting it for him. And I have no idea why, but he talked him into getting Battlefront 2 on Xbox and not on the PlayStation 4, which we had the first one on. Wasn't a big deal, you know, we playing it on the Xbox. But then our Xbox Gold membership ran out and my wife saw like, oh, you got to pick PlayStation 4 or Xbox. So we're like... All right, well, we're going to go with the one that we got more stuff on, so we went with the PlayStation 4. So I have not been able to play Battlefront 2, aside from just the little uh, the little game levels and stuff that you can play while you're not online. The last thing I remember playing was the Ewok Hunt, which was fun. I will give that the credit where credit's due. But then I, I too, I haven't been back, um, haven't gone even into the game. I have forgotten all about the game. I saw some things about Grievous showing up in Obi-Wan, and I got slightly excited. Then I remembered my son got it on the on the Xbox, and I don't have that hooked up right now because of the, just the nature of gaming. Um, you know, gone are the days where you could just up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start, and get extra lives and extra ammo. Lives. Right? I mean, <laughs> even when we played the original Battlefronts, I'd put in the unlimited uh, ammo code and just blah, 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 blah. Man, so much fun. Just throwing grenades for days. 
put in the un- un- invincible health and just throw grenades at your own feet and let them all charge up to you. Ha ha ha, you're all dying but me. Like, I don't know. I guess I come from the dick gamer era. <laughs> like, I miss that kind of stuff. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, and for me, for a lot of ways, you know, gaming-wise, I mean, everything changed for me, of course, in 2018 because that's when Cade was born. Right. So for me, a lot of the gaming I've been able to do at all in recent memory uh, was basically... Um, you know, it's, it's the 2D on the regular TV screen type of gaming. So stuff like uh, the new Tomb Raider, uh, Resident Evil 2 remake. Uh, we actually took that that PS4 that was going to be our backup and stuck it in my office because um, we're going to sell off a couple of old systems. So we had the space so that I could basically upload my save games through PlayStation Plus and switch back and forth on which room I was playing in. Because I'd like to play on the big screen, but I'll play in the office if I have to. Um, <laughs> going back and forth. Um, but it's all been like the 2D stuff because when you've got a little baby around and usually no one else in the house with you, oh, that's a good time to game if it's not for the whole baby thing if you're talking VR because nobody's around, you know, to complain or get in the way or whatever if you're going to try to play VR. But you can't really see the baby while that's happening. Even if the baby <laughs> is nice and safe right beside you in a little baby chair and he's just watching the screen and having fun, you can't see him. <laughs> and it's just it's it's that level of 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 wariness, I guess, to go with it. So, um, you know, so every once in a while, like like it'll be a Sunday afternoon and uh, my father in law will come over and watch Cade. So Jody and I can go out to lunch together, which has kind of been our tradition. And uh, when we get back, she'll hang out with Cade and her, my father in law in the kitchen, just kind of hanging out and doing whatever. And I will slink off to the bedroom. I'm like, I'm going into Borderlands in VR. I'm going back to Skyrim <laughs> in VR. Damn it. Because it's my one time to actually play any of that. And, and that still, I feel like that, that is my bread and butter of gaming. Like, like it's so fundamentally transformed how I want to game. I don't really want to play the 2D video games anymore. But alas, you take what you can get. Right. right? <laughs> um, now that brings us to the tabletop games. And the tabletop games for Star Wars are through Fantasy Flight. I guess I should step back and say, yes, Galaxy of Heroes was still out there in mobile apps. And we just aren't really mobile app kind of folks when it comes so we don't tend to uh, follow that or cover that all that much i couldn't tell you what star wars apps were out this year aside from galaxy of heroes um but in tabletop games it's all through fantasy flight games now i know that this is a show where some of the audience plays this stuff some don't pay attention to it at all so i want to try to formulate this in a way that's fairly logical and tries to make sure everybody kind of understands what Fantasy Flight Games is doing with the Star Wars gaming license at this point. So sort of think of Star Wars games at Fantasy Flight as divided into four different categories. One is board games. They had Rebellion. It got one expansion. That was not in 2018, so we don't need to cover it. There's nothing in that category for, for 2018. They've announced Outer Rim. It's coming in 2019, but 2018 empty. We don't need to pay attention to that category. The next category was card games. Okay. In the card games, we have uh, Empire vs. Rebellion, which was a standalone game that's kind of like Super Blackjack. That's actually really fun. It's it's very concise. Um, not very deep, but pretty cool. I think deeper than Blackjack. Um, I actually have a whole demo game of that on the YouTube channel. Um, but that was years ago, so no expansions or anything standalone. So we can kind of push that aside. So then they had the LCG, uh, Star Wars the Card Game, also known as the Living Card Game, hence the LCG. Now, that game was basically ending as we came into 2018. So we got a release that I got in 2018, which was uh, the, let's see, it was the fourth uh, out of six 
force packs in the so-called alliances cycle called Swayed by the Dark Side. Uh, I did a video on that at the beginning of January. I think it actually was maybe the last one released in the previous year. And then we had the fifth alliances cycle force pack, which is Trust in the Force. And then we had the last one, the last one for the entire game, which is Promise of Power. So basically what the LCG is or was, was this, this really consumer-friendly model of card gaming. It was it played like a CCG or a TCG, and you did build your own decks ahead of time, except instead of card by card, it was in groups of six cards called objective sets. And you were limited to either one set or two sets uh, for that particular objective set in each deck. So you didn't have to have a whole bunch of copies of super powerful cards because you were limited in how many could be in the deck. But the thing about it was every product you bought was specific cards. There was no such thing as a blind booster pack at all. There was no randomness at all. You buy the Promise of Power Force Pack from the Alliances cycle, you know exactly what you're going to get every time. And in the Force Pack, along with all those new cards, all these different new objective sets, if the objective set was limited to one per deck, you got one. But if you could use two per deck, they actually gave you two instead of you having to repurchase the thing. So extremely easy to collect, extremely fun to play, um, lots of cool options. And it had been around for a while. Um, put it to you this way. Uh, we got to the point where the last of the objective sets that was released, the last set of six cards that was released was the 289th. And the last force pack was a 285th through the 289th in that pack. So we're talking wow. a ton of packs, a ton of cycles, some big expansions that came with it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to it, but it's all in a very consumer-friendly sort of way. And it's dead. It ended in 2018. Along with that, though, we saw the rise of a new Star Wars card game that actually began sort of as the LCG was going through its death throes, and most people believe that part of the reason the LCG is over is because of this game entering production, and that is Star Wars Destiny. Star Wars Destiny is basically a card and dice game. It is a one-on-one -on -one game. It is actually something that is a fairly quick game to play. It's easy to learn, easy to play, fun to play. Um, so in every way, a fun, good game, except, and the except part depends on your perspective, it is the one game that gets away from Fantasy Flight Games' usual very consumer-friendly model for games. Because this mm -hmm. goes into a traditional CCG-TCG model, which means you get a starter deck for you, somebody else is going to have to get a starter deck for themselves. There's only ever been one time they've put out, as far as I know, a two-player starter set. And if you want to beef up your deck with more powerful cards, you got to go buy booster packs. And oh, those booster packs, they are blind. They are random cards. Good freaking luck getting the cards that you want, you're going to have to buy and buy and buy, like with the CCG or the TCG and such back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. And, oh, yeah, some of those more powerful cards will let you roll dice with them. And every pack is going to give you one card that has a die. That's good. But, oh, wait, the really powerful cards let you roll two dice with them. Do you get two dice when you find them randomly in a pack? Hell no. <laughs> you got to be lucky enough to find them a second time to be able to use that second die and that now, you know, useless second card, basically. So wow. it's very much a non-consumer friendly model, but it's a hell of a moneymaker. And the game itself, with as fast as it plays and as, as, as easy as it is to learn, 
is a pretty big tournament-style game, really kind of up there with X-Wing in a lot of ways for Fantasy Flight. So it's been one of their more successful Star Wars products, but it's very much a departure from their usual consumer-friendly approach. Um, there was a time at which it was said, we're doing LCGs because we think the TCG model is bad, bad, bad. And now it's, we were doing the LCG, but you can actually make a lot of money with this TCG model. Um, <laughs> or so the cynical side of me would say. Um, so that is one game actually in 2018, Star Wars Destiny, the card and dice game, which had several uh, new waves of expansion. So about like the CCG, new cards coming out, but all through these either new starters with random booster packs or just random booster packs. They had the Legacies, Rivals, Ways of the Force, or excuse me, Way of the Force, singular, and Across the Galaxy product lines released in 2018. Um, I've said my piece. Mark, um, have you ever played this? Uh, do you have a thoughts on this particular product line? No, I still haven't got into it. I mean, I think I have a deck somewhere if one of those came with an insider pack at some point. But no, I, I haven't got into it. I think this is the closest to like Magic the Gathering. Uh, mm -hmm. And Magic the Gathering is probably the closest to this style of game I've ever got. And even then, I've got cards from the early 90s. I've not kept up with that. Even that game, which I will say, you know, I was somewhat into that game, especially at the end of the 90s and stuff. But the newer cards, my my best friend lives up in Seattle, so he plays that game all the time. He gets the new cards and stuff, and he comes down with a singular purpose, to beat my old 1990s Goblin deck. <laughs> I haven't done crap to this deck, but he comes down, and he will tool all these cards, and he's got some killer cards and these killer new features and stuff. And I'm like, can't we just have Trample? Can't we have an upkeep? Why do we have to have this new special name for it and all this other stupid crap? Like, I, I guess I'm getting cynical in my old age. But uh, no, when it comes to the card games, and, and in fact, most of these type of games, I, I don't get to play many of them and haven't played a lot of them, unfortunate as it is. It's funny you say that. And I think of like, like, you know, like Mike Tyson eventually in the nursing home um, <laughs> with his like his like super senior citizen lisp and everything, you know, uh, and, and in comes, you know, you know, in comes what? Creed or you know young Rocky or whatever and like come on old man come on. what 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 you doing here you know <laughs> leave me alone whippersnapper right anyway I just want uh, some peace and quiet in my old age the peace and quiet mind you um <laughs> sorry we're we're sorry we're sorry uh, Mike Tyson it's okay yes, um, I almost got like I said Michael Jackson earlier I'm pretty sure I said Mike Tyson but shoot you know this time of night hard to say um. So, again, it's again, it's a really fun game. Like, I'm not disparaging the enjoyment you can get out of playing Destiny, but you got to know what you're getting yourself into. It is going to be a TCG model, and that is a departure for Fantasy Flight, for better or worse. Um, mm -hmm. The LCG, though, for what it was worth, is so large that it was probably getting to the point where it was kind of imposing for new players in some cases because there was so much stuff out there to know what was most competitive. Now, that brings us into another... Uh, area of product lines for Fantasy Flight, which is their role-playing games. Um, Fantasy Flight was did something kind of weird with the role-playing game. They've got a really cool role-playing game system. It uses dice that actually affect the narrative. It's not just did you succeed or not, but it's degrees of success, certain things that can happen that trigger that allow you to do more stuff. Um, it's a really innovative, really cool system they've got, I think, uh, as the backbone of their Star Wars role-playing games. But what they did was they started this as three different product lines. They launched Edge of the Empire first. 
Edge of the Empire was sort of focusing on the smugglers, the scoundrels, the people on the fringes. Then they launched Age of Rebellion. Age of Rebellion being one that was basically specifically about the fighting between the Empire and the rebels. Then Force and Destiny, not Forces of Destiny or just Destiny, but Force and Destiny, which is basically Force users. You can differentiate these between Edge of the Empire having white covers, Age of Rebellion, red covers, Force and Destiny, black covers. And each of these product lines had different character creation, different specializations and whatnot, but they were based around a similar system so much so that you could play them together. And each one got its own core rulebook. Each one got a beginner game. Each one got a crap ton of source books, adventure books, and things like that. They even made a beginner game for The Force Awakens. Not The Force Awakens, the movie itself, but named after The Force Awakens that had an adventure that took place for beginner players during the film and shortly thereafter. Only that was kind of weird because it was a beginner game that actually was set decades after the entire rest of the entire RPG product line, which was all set shortly after the Battle of Yavin. Kind of weird. And they never did anything beyond that beginner game set in that era. So what's happened now is they've gone so far with these product lines that it was kind of like this was the year they were like, my give up, my give up on the idea of having separate product lines. Because we're getting to the point where aside from like specializations and so forth and thematic things, there really wasn't a need to keep these games separate anymore. So in 2018, Edge of the Empire got nothing. Not a single source book under its name. Age of Rebellion got two, Fully Operational and Cyphers and Masks. Force and Destiny got three, I think. Unlimited Power and Knights of Fate. And for some reason, I'm thinking maybe Ghosts of Nathamir, but I think that was one I just had for so long that I only covered it on the YouTube channel, which I used to compile this list, because um, I tend to hit stuff as it comes out. I think I just took so long to review it that I reviewed it in 2018. Um, now, is that loose term, Ghosts of Dathomir? We're not talking Force Ghosts of Dathomir, right? Actual Force Ghosts and so forth of Dathomir. It was an what? entire uh, mission that took you to Dathomir and had you dealing with a lot of crazy stuff, crazy dark sidey stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it's oh, a cool I, adventure. I kind of love this. <laughs> There's so, a part of me that's just thrilled by this. I like anytime I can get dark side Force Ghosts. <laughs> George! <laughs> Wow. So <laughs> so you've got these product lines that are all separate, kind of getting their last gasps seemingly here, except for like specialization card decks that just give you like quick little easy ways to reference stats about the character instead of having to use the book. Uh, but then what they're doing is they're putting together guidebooks that are now for all three games at once, which makes sense because aside from character creation and such, basically they play the same. Um, they're all based on the same system. So in 2018, we got the first of these sort of unified rule books or unified source books called Dawn of Rebellion. And it actually took the game into the era prior to A New Hope, which is basically the era of Rebels and, to some extent, uh, Rogue One stuff. So it's pretty cool to actually see a new era and something that recognized that it's basically all the same game, just with different themes and how it's being approached. Um they're continuing to do this. There's a separatist one that's coming out in the near future, and they just announced one called Allies and Adversaries that's basically uh, different characters you can play against or with uh, as as uh, uh, non-PCs and non-player characters, NPCs, um, basically for any of these games. So it seems as though when it comes to their own original RPG line, they've sort of whittled it down from three product lines that were really one with subcategories in a lot of ways into what is really truly one 
but not anything really big released for that yet except for the one book. Alongside that, they also did a reprint for the anniversary of the West End game, Star Wars RPG, that was a special collector's edition reprint of the original uh, begin or the original uh, starting book. I almost said beginner game. The original uh, starting book for uh, Star Wars the role-playing game and its original source book uh, together. Uh, that one I did not pick up. So, you know, the game is still, the RPG is still going, but it seems like in a lot of ways it's sort of running out of steam. But at least they're consolidating, which should make it easier on those who are still playing or might jump into it. See, and that's one that I'm kind of more interested in. One of our new scout masters in our troop happens to be one of our old Eagle Scouts, and he's big into D&D and was talking about, hey, you know, if the boys want to do a D&D night, I'm more than happy to, you know, set up my house and show them how to do it. And I was like, well, do you ever play any of the Star Wars ones? And he's like, oh, I've seen them. You know, and he's like, what do you, you know, what do you know about them? I'm like, well, I've got almost all the original ones. Uh, so, you know, then like three hours later, he's texting me. So I noticed that the Star Wars RPG uses the 30D system, very similar to the bloody that I use. And I was like, uh-oh, we're going to be playing this game soon, I could tell. I have no idea how to play any of these RPGs. I was only getting them because they had the plethora of information, and if you're ever going to write your own fan fiction, that's a great place to get stuff that you don't necessarily see outside of the books just being referenced. And in these type of situations, you get these RPGs, and it's telling you where it's at, where it's created, who created it, where it can be found in the galaxy, all this really cool, helpful information. So, of course, I bought a whole bunch of them. So... This is definitely one of the things, like, if I was going to be investing in any games, I think the RPGs would probably be the one that I would go with, because I could utilize it in more than one way, more than just playing the game itself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and for me, this was gathering information most of the time for the Star Wars Timeline Gold when that was still going, um, and then turning around, and I basically split the cost of these with a buddy of mine, Joseph, and he then gets to actually keep them when it's over, and basically he's paying part of it, and I'm paying part of it for me to have the privilege to have it first and do the review and you know do the stuff for the timeline and then send it off to him where it actually stays in his library and doesn't take up space here. So um, kind of a, a useful way. But it's funny you mentioned D&D. I never played Dungeons & Dragons ever, but I just finished reading Of Dice and Men, which is a book all about the origins of Dungeons and Dragons, because I'm just fascinated by the origin of such a cultural gaming phenomena. Um, huh. On the other hand, Michael, who, of course, is the other host of Cloud City Casino, um, he now has a 3D printer and is not only back to playing D&D, but he is printing <gasps> his own miniatures to Ooh. play D&D at this point. And for some reason, I have not pulled out the Stephen Lynch D&D song to use on him in the entire <laughs> time that he's been talking about this. I'm sitting here <laughs> while you're talking about it. And you said D&D, and in the back of my head it goes, it's D&D! And I'm like, oh my god, why didn't I bring that up with Michael yet? So, so Michael, if you're listening to this, be warned. Uh, you know, Game fighting ball. with the legends of yore, it's D&D! Never kissed a lady before, nope! Woo! You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, if, you ever, if, you've never, if you've never seen it, look on YouTube. It's not my channel. Just look on YouTube, uh, search Stephen Lynch, D&D. It's oh. hilarious, but... It also is very much built on a geek stereotypes, but uh, I believe that the man himself uh, was a geek as well. Yes. So that said, that moves us into really the big area that Fantasy Flight Games really is into when it comes to their games at this point. And that is miniatures games or mini games, but not mini games like little games or mini games like smaller games and bigger games, but miniatures as in little tiny model dudes with mm -hmm. which you play games. 
And again, we can sort of subdivide this. There's the ground battle stuff where you're playing with individual characters. Mm -hmm. And there's the space stuff where you're playing with spacecraft that have certain pilots or certain crew members or whatever. So we'll start with space. Okay. The final. Uh, Wait, no. I saw that coming. I almost said it myself. I'm like, nope, nope, not going to say it here. Um, although, man, Discovery is rocking it still. Um, uh, Discovery is kind of in a lot of ways like the uh, the J.J. Abrams reboot Trek stuff. You know, it's the Star Trek films, the Star Trek series that Star Wars fans have been waiting for because it's pissing off a lot of Trek fans, though I would consider myself one as well, um, because it's straying a little bit, uh, whereas I'm watching... Star Wars fans are... I'm watching Poor Man's Trek. I'm on Orville. <laughs> Poor Man's Trek. I was going to say idealistic man's Trek, real life man's Trek, what Star Trek would really be like if humans were doing it. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that would work too. Right. So uh, in space, you've got uh, their flagship series, which is X-Wing. Now, X-Wing went through a huge change this year. X-Wing had been going along for quite a while and got a new starter set, but not a lot of changed rules and such, when The Force Awakens came out. They had sort of a new core set that got released that you could get that introduced the First Order and Resistance into the mix. It was a game that started as Rebels versus Imperials, Rebel Alliance versus Galactic Empire, which is an important distinction, I guess, um, versus each other. And that was it. Then they introduced Scum and Villainy to bring in the Scoundrels, the Bounty Hunters, and so forth. Then around the time of The Force Awakens, they introduced the First Order and the Resistance into the mix. But First Order and Resistance were so small as factions with not very many ships, because there just aren't that many in the films, mm -hmm. that basically what you really had was still three factions. Scum and Villainy by itself, also referred to as just Scum. Then you had the Resistance and Rebel Alliance, who could be played together under the label of Rebel. Then you had First Order and Galactic Empire that could be played together under the banner of Imperial. You couldn't mix factions, but Resistance and, Rebe and Rebel Alliance and then First Order and Galactic Empire were considered sub-factions of their main factions so that you could really play with First Order and Resistance when there weren't very many ships for them. Mm. So uh, an interesting way of doing it. And over time, it, the product line grew and grew and grew and became somewhat unwieldy because many of the cards have costs most well all the cards they have their cost printed on them so if you play like a hundred point game or a 200 point game as you're building your squadrons your pilots and your upgrades and everything are costing you points and you're getting up to that point threshold and what was happening was that over time they were finding that balancing the game was tougher and tougher because you were dealing with point values that were created years ago that wouldn't have been able to take into account certain things that you were introducing into the game now that made it very difficult to come up with point values that kept things balanced and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard to deal with a game where the mechanics have been growing for years and years and still keep a lot of the early stuff and the, the starter sets really viable. Mm -hmm. So what they decided to do was to essentially relaunch the game. This year was the launch, or 2018, was the launch of X-Wing 2nd Edition, also referred to colloquially as X-Wing 2.0. This was a huge overhaul where basically uh, card sizes changed for upgrades. Um, they added some stuff, simplified some stuff. you got charges now that you can, you can use um, to sort of build up and then pay, essentially use up to use certain abilities, including force charges for force-based abilities. Um, really kind of played up the fast-paced combat and whatnot. Um, they now have an app that you use when you're building your squad, and it is required unless you're doing a fast build game where they tell you what upgrades and ships you're using and pilots you're using 
Instead, mm. you go on this app, and what they do is they can tweak the costs of these cards on the fly by just updating the app. So you mm. pick your game mode you want to play, and it'll give you the most updated current costs based on the balancing, and you build your squad and you play with it. Except they can tweak it between game modes to balance them, or just balance them as ships need to be either made more costly or less costly based on their usage, um, and which ones seem to be overpowered or underpowered and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. kind of cool there, but it is something where you got to use their app. It's either an app or you can use their website. Either way, uh, you can log in and save your squads as you make them. You can keep track of your collection so it knows what cards to show you as options, that kind of thing. All cool stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but they also made the change that they said, okay, First Order and Resistance. Yeah, there's not very many ships for either of them, even now. But we're not going to consider them sub-factions alongside their earlier counterparts anymore. Now it's five factions. So now you can play as the Rebels, the Imperials, Scum and Villainy, or Resistance or First Order. But you don't mix them. So right now, you got two factions that are much smaller than what's available for the others. At the beginning of the year... They put out products that included cards necessary to use those new ships in either first edition or second edition. Mm -hmm. When they launched second edition, you got a new core set with the updated rules and updated components that you need. But they also released conversion kits so that you could use your old ships with the new game even before mm -hmm. they re-released those ships for the new version of the game. Uh -huh. um, and as they're re-releasing ships from the game, for those who do repurchase them... Uh, many of them are getting slight upgrades to the miniatures as well, like the X-Wings S-Foils now open, although when they're closed, they can tilt and look kind of stupid. Um, there's a new model for the Y-Wing, um, that sort of thing. And then you got new actual ships being added. The biggest thing that's coming to the game, aside from just the launch of 2nd Edition, actually is coming this year, but they had announced it in 2018, which is that they are now adding Clone Wars-era ships because we're going to be getting the Separatists and the Galactic Republic as two more factions to bring the total to seven. Nice. So lots of changes with X-Wing happening in 2018, but we saw releases of uh, from the we're going to include um, the first and second edition materials file. We had Saw's Renegades and the TIE Reaper from the second edition only category. We had Lando's Millennium Falcon, the mm. second edition core set, uh, along with, of course, conversion kits for all five of those factions, the first three originally. And then as soon as they started putting out stuff, from the sequel trilogy, they put out those conversion kits as well. The T-65 X-Wing that now has the wings that open and close. The TIE LN, or just the regular TIE Fighter. The TIE Advanced by one or X-1, Vader's, not the Inquisitor's one. Uh, the Y-Wing, the Fang Fighter, the Fire Spray, which is now only scum and villainy. You can't use it for the Empire anymore. Um, the Mining Guild TIE Fighter, which is new. The First Order TIE Fighter, the T-70 X-Wing, and the RZ-2A Wing, which is the sequel trilogy Last Jedi version of the A-Wing that was released. Oh, so, okay. some re-releases, some new releases, a massive revamp to the game, and the promise of a lot more to come with X-Wing. Now, when you say you can't cross factions, like, right, so if I have Resistance, right, and I'm playing Resistance, I can't take, like, an, a T-65 X-Wing from the Resistance, or the Rebel era, and use that? I mean, because... Before Second Edition, you could do that, because they were both considered Rebel. Uh -huh. But you cannot do that for second edition anymore. So, like, I'm trying to wrap my head around that because, like, in the in-universe side of things, like, I don't see why that would make a difference. Well, like, when you build your when you build your squads, you're building it with 
pilots, not ships per se. Like if I want to field an X-Wing, I don't say, okay, this this many points for an X-Wing. I have to then uh-huh. decide on a pilot represented by a ship card with all these stats on it that are different for each pilot and different abilities for each pilot. And that will be what has the cost. So uh-huh. like Luke Skywalker is going to cost more than like Red Squadron pilot, um, mm. just a, a generic card. But since it's based on the character, presumably it's because the characters are sort of a snapshot of the character at that point in time. But mm. then you do have instances where, for instance, you know, you got Han Solo able to fly what they're referring to as Ray's Millennium Falcon. Now I'm sure that's going to raise some hackles. Um, <laughs> uh, you play the Resistance version of the Millennium Falcon as opposed to the younger version of Han Solo that you'd play as with the uh, the Rebel version of the Millennium Falcon, which, of course, is the one from the original trilogy. Or if you want to play as Han Solo as your pilot as on a ship card for the Lando's Millennium Falcon, which is the one from uh, Solo, which is for scum and villainy. So you have three different factions, all with a different version of the Millennium Falcon. Um, cool. Only one so far of which has been released for second edition, but the conversion kits let you play with, with any of the old ones. Is this also the same game where Mara Jade's one of the pilots? Ah, see, that's interesting. What you'll find is that some – I don't remember if she was a pilot still or not because what happened was when they did the conversion kits, they seemed to be giving us the pilots that we're going to see when those ships are later reissued. Mm -hmm. And some of them are legends. Like for the fire spray, most of the pilots are legends characters uh, aside from Boba Fett. So in that sense, legend characters carried over. But there's a conspicuous absence of certain Legends characters for some other ships where they've replaced them now with pilots like, say, Sienari or uh, a Thane from Lost Stars and some of these characters or like the characters from the Shattered Empire. So it seems like they're slowly phasing out many of the Legends references, at least the ones that are recognizable characters to some degree. Um, but But – at least they've got the ability to do that and say, well, this is a new edition, so it's going to be more adhering to canon. They just want to make sure that at least you've got more options to still play with your old stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, the RPG, meanwhile, started out when Legends was the only major continuity. Yeah. And then canon came around, and they started working canon stuff into it, but still dabbling a little into Legends. And then now is pretty much all canon in what it looks at. But it's still the same product line, so the core rulebook is still dealing with legend stuff. But the <laughs> new stuff is canon. So you wound up as in essentially with sort of this weird instance in which the RPG really isn't any continuity because it doesn't really fully fit into either one. It's sort of dipping its toes in each. Um, mm-hmm. I always just put the adventure summaries into the Legends continuity because that's where it started. Mm-hmm. But at least unless it specifically dealt with canonical stuff in depth. But, yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag. At least in this case, it seems like they're trying to make more of a clean break. But you do still see some Legends pilots, but they could very easily just argue, well, this was a character that was mentioned in a minor capacity at some point as having this ship. This is just a canonical version of them of some kind. It's not like these are major characters most of the time. You almost get the sense that, like, from the gaming standpoint, they weren't given any notification about the whole Legends split and canon and everything. So it was business as normal for them. And then the fandoms are like, well, what the hell is Mara Jade doing in this new canon game? And they're like, wait, what? What's going on? What, what did you guys, who did you pick to be in a pilot? <laughs> wait, okay, well, we've got, all right, this is in a quasi-realm of canon. Now they're like, now we've got version two. And notice there's no Legends characters that are notable. 
people like Mara Jade showing up. I mean, granted, that might not be the case, but it does kind of feel like that was what happened, that somewhere along the line, these guys weren't as high up the in-the-no chain and had no clue about that coming down, so they were using characters that they thought were just minor just to fill in this role. And then, you know, because of the nature of what they've done, you've got Legends fans just looking at everything as a target. Like, whoa, there we go. We've got some representation still. It's still alive. And then they're like, Disney's like, dude, stop. We don't want these guys to think that they've got their stuff going. It's dead. We've killed it. You're giving them hope. Damn it. We're trying to put that bed to rest. (laughs) You know, Uh, it just cracks me up because like here they are. They're showing up. They were in that game. And now now we're getting that point where it does look like they're shifting away, which I. I think that that's a good thing. I think that having these type of games that blend both when you're dealing in a realm where everything's supposed to be one and not the other, that's a bad thing. Now, having a game that blends both and having it in like an infinities category or, or, you know, it's not supposed to be in one or the other. It does take from both and announcing that from the get go. Yeah, that's a great thing. But they didn't go that direction. So I think that the fan base is really paying attention to these little things because that's the only way they're getting their legends to slip in, you know? Are you telling me you're changing the continuity without telling us? You realize we make games. We really can flip the table, right? (laughs) So X-Wing, big year. Then we flip it around. And we have X-Wing's oft-neglected, never really got off the ground uh, sort of sibling. Mm -hmm. The other ship-based game. Whereas X-Wing is Starfighter Combat, Armada is Capital Ship Combat. It plays a little more deliberately, a little more slowly, although it is capped at only six rounds per game unless you purposely decide you're going to do it as a deathmatch and wipe everybody out. Um, whereas X-Wing sometimes had little missions and the big epic ships, with have, which have not been brought back for second edition yet, by the way, the giant ships, um, had their own little sort of mini campaigns. Armada had a full-blown campaign, although it basically wound up being you know, form a team, each of you trade off partners kicking each other's butts and eventually have a big knockdown drive out four player battle and that's it. Not a whole lot of story to it. Mm-hmm. Kind of belying the idea of a campaign. But Armada itself has really struggled. They put out a few ships from time to time and the models are gorgeous in many mm-hmm. cases. Like the Chimera, the Imperial Star Destroyer, the Victory Class Star Destroyer, they are gorgeous. But kind of bland looking relative to all the different cool ships you see in X-Wing. And they just never really got much ground with this game. So in 2018, we only had one wave of two ships released in the entire year for Armada, though we had a cool announcement. We had the Chimera, which was just a repaint of the Imperial Star Destroyer, basically. Um, And then we had the Profundity, which, of course, was Radis' ship from Rogue One. And that was it. But they announced... And we, Michael and I were talking about this on the latest Cloud City Casino, and we're thinking that they were announcing this kind of as like a last hurrah. Like, mm-hmm. we know that X-Wing and its relaunch are basically killing the game that X-Wing's success never really let grow anyway. Mm-hmm. So let's go out with a bang. Because what they announced was one ship as an expansion by itself. They announced it in August. It was supposed to be first quarter 2019. Now they pushed it back to second quarter 2019. There has been radio silence on Armada completely other than this one ship. They have announced nothing, which makes us think the game is dead. But what they announced was the freaking Executor. And these are pretty close to scale. What the? It is effing huge. 
It is a $200 ship for a dying game. But it is gorgeous. And it costs a hell of a lot to add to your uh, fleet, as opposed to squadron, because they call it fleet in Armada. And it's going to make for a hell of a cinematic set of battles when it comes out. But there is no rebel equivalent of this. No. Unless you just crank up the amount of ships the rebels can have. Well, no um, way. You get the one special Y-Wing. <laughs> or something. Um, but it's just, it's, it, it's, it's odd, right? So they, re- they announced this enormous ship. And when you look at it, I mean, it's, I'd have to look at the images again on the Fantasy Flight website. But I want to say that even with the relatively large Imperial Star Destroyer model, in the set, which is the biggest one in all of Armada, um, really the biggest oh. of the mini ships. It's basically like t- like three or four lengths of an Imperial Star Destroyer to get the Super Star Destroyer. I'm not even sure if that uh, is scale, but it's no, I'm, I'm seeing it right game. now. I've just pulled up an image that shows the small <laughs> one, the next one, and oh my god! <laughs> yes. So, so, so I I have class. the Chimera. I, I, that, I, that's the first of, of any of these that I had to have. I saw it. It was just like, oh my God, I don't even care that it's 50 bucks. I've got to have this. And, and I, and there is that aspect of this product that is glorious. I mean, I have never played this game. I probably will never play this game, but I absolutely love the ship and it's sitting on my TV right here to my right. I love it to death. Uh, and, and I think that that's the, the cool thing about it, but I think that that's the side of this that, bit them hardcore now if they'd have done something similar on a slightly larger scale than say micro machines right <laughs> that way when you get to this ship and the death star and things like that no 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 see see that's the thing okay there are ships that are that small yeah. you know the the imperial raider right from battlefront 2 that was a, that was introduced in x-wing it's enormous for x-wing yeah, it's like a foot or more long or whatever. It's about it's almost the length if I were to sit it on my MacBook of the MacBook's entire keyboard section. Right. Yeah. That is the size of an X-Wing game miniature in this game. Right. <laughs> so it looks like, you know, nothing compared to the Superstar story or often even. the other. So they've got tiny ones. Yeah. The, the big ones are so damn big conceptually. That the models just keep getting larger and larger until now we got this enormous one that basically you can impale somebody with and kill them. Yeah, it's insanely big. And then, like you said, $200. I mean, the price tag that goes with those is tremendous. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the fact that this has lasted that long tells you that whether or not these people are playing it, you know, maybe there's a lot of people out there that's like me that's just like, oh, I got to have this ship i mean my passion for the ships came from the the titanium diecast line right i mean that's where i first started collecting then i went into the hot wheels because they started making them and then i was seeing these and i was like oh my god it was the price tag that's kept me from buying any of them but i mean just in the ship collector side of things i want these i really badly want them um the bases you know it's clearly more of a game than than a display piece but oh my god the ships and I, I wonder if that's where this game has been kept alive because from the playing standpoint and just it just and you could be a testament to this the, the sheer where do you put it all <laughs> when you're not playing oh, plus where do you put it when you're playing i mean it takes up so much space 
Yeah, I've got Armada actually right now, I think, in one tackle box and part of a little small thing. But, like, X-Wing for me is three giant tackle boxes full of stuff to keep it all separated. Imperial Salt is two in a small... Yeah, my closet is basically full, and now it's overflowed to another room. Um, though it's funny, you, the, the fact that you call things glorious... It finally, finally, it's, it's it's never really hit me as a joke. Anything. As soon as you said it this time about these, my thought was, these models, they are glorious. Fantasy flights victorious. Because I finally got into Panic at the Disco, um, <laughs> like, like I should have like a decade ago. Um, so, yeah, yeah, Armada is probably dead. We're assuming that the Superstar Destroyer Executor, since they pushed it back rather than canceling it, is still coming out, even mm. though... Who knows how many people are actually going to buy something that even discounted on miniature market where I get my stuff is 160 bucks. Well, knowing um, it's the last it's thing of the game. But we that... don't know it's the last thing in the game. Well, you, we think right, it's the right. last thing. They haven't announced squat. But if they did, though, that does that mm-hmm. does put a bigger target on it. Suddenly it's like, ooh, now you're going to get the coveted last thing. It barely came out. They pushed it back. Did they make it? We don't know. But this guy's got one. Oh, bro. Oh, they, they do a uh, they do a uh, a crossover. And uh, the the last of either the little mission cards that you can have or whatever you call it, um, or the last of the upgrade cards you can get uh, actually crosses over the aliens and it goes, game over, man. Game over. <laughs> well, I'm honestly surprised with these that there isn't a app version or a digital or an augmented reality version game of these. Well, because, I, I mean, think about the discs and stuff when you've got a library and stuff and going digital makes sense. A game like this would be the next step. Why have all these big models when you could do it all on your phone or have an augmented reality right there in your living room? See, it's funny you say that because I'm actually someone who um, – you know, I, I've been doing – I picked up everything from Starlink, even the, the character that wasn't re- released inside the United States. I imported from, like – what was it? Greece. Um, so I have all the Starlink stuff, little ships that you connect to your controller and you play it on either the Switch or the PS4 or the Xbox One, whatever. Um, so, I mean, I'm all about – you know, there's there's a physical stuff, but we need a, a, a an ability to play this in a digital representation because in that game, even if you're not playing with the toys, you can still play with the digital versions of anything you've got for seven days after you've connected it. Um, so there's just that, that sense of I want to play this otherwise. I'm actually looking – I'm getting so much into board games now thanks to Kickstarter and the game called Nemesis, which is amazing, by the way, um, that I, I'm looking for board game type um, apps now in a lot of ways. Um, but what you'll find is that the issue is that the license for Star Wars video games and particularly mobile games isn't held by Fantasy Flight. It's held by the same people making Galaxy of Heroes and crap like Force Collection mm. um, or Battlefront 2 and so on. Right, The video game license, in particular the mobile license, aren't held by Fantasy Flight. So if they're going to do anything with an app, it has to be in service of another existing game. It can't be a standalone game by itself. Mm. So like you can have an app for X-Wing for building squads, but the game itself is the minis. And we'll so see that if, again also here in a moment. What if the game itself was a map that you put on the ground and then you used your phone for the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to sell you the map and all it's got is these little like QR code looking things on it. I'm gonna swear it'll be cool. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, they allowed Lenovo to do uh, what is basically an app-based game with Jedi challenges, but it was, mm-hmm. and it's the hardware itself that makes it work, that set it apart, not the fact that the game was an app because the game was a freaking app. So right. there may be loopholes somewhere. All right. So X-Wing, Big Year, Armada, dying, probably. 
That brings us to the last category for Fantasy Flight, which is the other category for minigames, which is the ones that are ground-based individual character combat. And there are two games, one of which was brand new in 2018. The game we've seen before is called Imperial Assault. Imperial Assault basically has these little minis that you play with, unpainted, unlike all the ships in X-Wing and Armada, which are painted. None of the models in either of these two ground-based games are painted ahead of time because painting is part of the hobby for many people. They are not super, super hard plastic, but sturdy enough. All one piece that come pre-made for you. You don't have to put anything together, except in the case of oversized stuff where you got to put the parts of like a Rancor together, but they just pop together really easy, or an ATSC, they just pop together really easily. Um, and you're playing on a map that is made up of these tiles um, that are basically looking like puzzle pieces that when you put them together in a certain configuration, make different maps for different scenarios. And there's a grid on them. So you're playing on a grid-based map system similar to the old uh, Wizards of the Coast miniatures game, except much more involved. And what's interesting about this game was really a couple of things um, at the time. One is that there is a skirmish mode that is sort of a one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two -two or four against everyone, I guess, um, type of quick jump in with your army, kick each other's butts, and you're done type of game with only the loosest of any kind of rationale but but behind the battles. But the biggest part of the game wasn't that, although that's the competitive circuit aspect of it. A significant, the, the, the lion's share portion of the game was actually taken by the campaign. This was a miniatures game that actually had story. The original core box had a campaign with a bunch of missions. These are missions that are branching stories depending on what happens at the end of any given one. There are side missions that, that fit in between them. There are rewards you get at the end of the mission so your characters progress. You can earn new characters to bring into your team as allies. The Imperials can bring in new characters as villains. This, this ever-growing story. And then they put out three large expansions that were each campaigns unto themselves. Uh, Return to Hoth, Jabba's Realm, and Heart of the Empire. And they put out three small expansions that basically were three or four side missions with mm -hmm. a bunch of new minis and stuff like that and new like map tiles and everything. But you could either play those side missions as part of your bigger campaign or you could play them back to back as a mini campaign. Uh, those were Twin Shadows, the Bespin Gambit. And then in 2018, we saw the last of those, which was Tyrants of Lothal. Now, in any of these cases with these big boxed sets, one of their extremely – this is the second noteworthy thing – one of their extremely customer-friendly things that they do is they'll give you a bunch of minis for different you know, characters you're playing as. And then for some, you'll get your deployment card that lets you play with them, gives you all the rules and everything you need to know and stats for the character. But they won't be represented by a mini. They'll be represented by a token, a little cardboard token. And then the expansions released around that – will basically be expansions of those characters where it's that character's deployment card as a duplicate card. And a mini for them, instead of using the token, you can now use a little plastic miniature and more game cards and stuff that are unique to that um, expansion. They call them ally packs and villain packs. So in the case of Tyrants of Lothal, it included tokens for uh, Kane and Jarus, Ezra Bridger, Zebarelios, Sabine Wren, Hondo Onaka, and Thrawn. But then the expansions and ally and villain packs around it were a Kanan Jarrus and Ezra Bridger pack, 
a Zebarelios and Sabine Rin pack, a Hondo Onaka pack, and a Thrawn pack. So you could play with them without having to buy the expansions, or you could buy the expansions, get the minis instead of using the cardboard tokens, and get extra game type uh, material at the same time. Uh, so very consumer friendly in that aspect, very campaign driven in the core of the game, but not necessarily in the way that people would play it competitively. Um, one new thing they did with the game fairly recently, though not necessarily in 2018, was because I don't think it was in 2018, was they launched an app with this as a companion piece, as we were talking about, called Legends of the Alliance. And basically, mm -hmm. the game itself, when you're playing skirmish, is just, you know, you're trying to kill each other. The game for the campaign is you're trying to do certain objectives and you move to the next mission regardless. It's just a question of which mission it might be, and the outcome either benefits you or maybe benefits the other player more. But you have one player as the Imperials, and everybody else is playing Rebel Heroes. Well, that always meant that one player was always on the other side to everybody else, and you couldn't mm -hmm. play it as a solo game, as in by yourself, not Han. Mm -hmm. Han was in the corset as a token. Uh, buy him in expansion. <laughs> Your token solo! Um, and then um, with the app, it allows you to play it co-op only, so everybody has rebels, or play it solo as a rebel because the app itself takes the role of the Imperial player. The rules are kind of complex how to interpret what it's saying to do, but it actually lets you basically play co-op or solo in what was previously a one-versus-all type of game. And in the last year... In 2018, and then I'll mention what they just added at the beginning of 2019, since so it's all apropos because we're talking about the app. Um, mm -hmm. They not only had its tutorial mission and its own campaign you could play, so a full campaign that you could play, um, multiple missions in this type of mode using the free app. But you also – they took Jabba's Realm, one of the big box expansions, and created an app version of that that they built into the app for free. Mm -hmm. And now they've done the same thing with Return to Hoth. And it's a, and again, just like the X-Wing app, you basically go in and tell it what you've got in your collection so that it knows what it can and can't use when it's running these campaigns with you. Um, it's oh, been cool. a fantastic addition to the game. But I've always loved Imperial Assault because I love the campaign story-based type games and the characters that build from game to game when you're talking about minis because I like that aspect of RPGs but just have never gotten into RPGs myself very much. Mm -hmm. And the app has been fantastic as an addition for it. But it seems as though... Imperial Assault may be dead, or at least all we've got is the app at this point, pretty much, because the other thing they've been releasing is skirmish maps. These are basically you have these skirmish missions you do when you're doing that head to head mode. And a skirmish mission is basically just, you know, you make this map and then you kick each other's butts over certain objectives on that map. And they're like, well, if you want even faster play, we've got a bunch of these skirmish maps for these different skirmish missions and we've just printed them out on rubber. So you can have these play mats to play them on, just roll it out and play. You don't have to put it together. And here's duplicate copies of those skirmish mission cards so you know what the mission is. And at this point, they released five of those in 2018. The Most Icely Back Alleys, Now Hutta Swamps, Uskru District, um, Tarkin Initiative Labs, and Lothal Wastes skirmish maps. Mm -hmm. And at this point, the only product that they have announced as forthcoming for Imperial Assault is another freaking skirmish map. That's <laughs> it. And this has been since the middle of the year. So it yeah. looks like Imperial Assault is dead or about to be. Yeah, no new characters, but maps only. That does that does kind of go into that realm of we're on the dying on the vine. 
we're we're giving you guys a way to take what you have and continue to get new use out of it, but we're not going to be applying more. This game though, it feels like like it's an RPG that's got all the 3D 3D elements to it. Um kind of reminds me of Heroes Quest almost in a way. Um, which is interesting because like we, you know, the next one we're going to talk about Legion, like they seem so very similar and yet are still so far apart. Like you could almost take the stuff and the pieces from Imperial Assault and possibly shift them into Legion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it'd just be a blending of, of, of styles. I'm sure that there are people who do that. Um, there are people right now, I am about to do a late pledge on another game by the guys that made Nemesis Awaken Realms called Tainted Grail that looks friggin' amazing. But they changed the miniature size for the heroes from 32 millimeter scale to 35, and people are freaking the hell out. Because apparently there's this big thing about I'm not going to buy the game for the game. I'm going to buy the game for the miniatures so I can use those miniatures in my other games. And they all need to be the same scale. And I'm like, you uh-huh. you want them to make their game so you can use their stuff for another game? What? Right. But I guess that's kind of like when, I, when I, they I, had the, uh, the what were they, the premium trade paperbacks. So we're like, that doesn't fit on my paperback bookshelf, you bastards. What kind of sick a-holes are you? Touche, touche. Okay, I'll give that to you. And, and I am someone who wanted to see, you know, the the um, the steel books look the same across the uh, original trilogy with the other. Okay, okay, I'll take it back. We all have our nerdgasms there, or our nerd uh, uh, aneurysms in that case. Um, our nerd beeves. So, so, with Imperial Assault possibly dead, but God, I love that. In fact, I've actually I've just sorted out all my pieces. I plan at night starting soon once everybody's asleep. I'm going to start playing through basically as a one-player thing where I'm playing both sides or I'm using the app. I'm going to play through all the campaigns of Imperial Assault now because I probably nice. have all the products except for that one friggin' map. Right. Um, <laughs> but that brings us to probably why Imperial Assault is dead. If Destiny was why the LCG died to some degree and Armada is being killed by X-Wing. Mm-hmm. Legion killed the Imperial Assault star, so to speak, (laughs) Uh, because this year was the year in which Fantasy Flight released their newest major Star Wars game, Star Wars Legion. And this is a game that, as as Mark said, it's easy to think of this as aimed at the same market because it's a miniature combat game for characters on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I initially thought kind of the same thing. Like, is this something where... The audience is too similar. Will it kill Imperial Assault? And it feels like it has, but at the same time, when it really comes down to it, the games are quite different. Um, Legion is most compared to something like a Warhammer. Mm -hmm. Um, If there is a comparison to Imperial Assault, it's to skirmish mode, not the campaign that's really the bulk of what we get with Imperial Assault. Legion is a ground combat game. You play it on really any surface. They do have a couple of uh, game mats that they put out, the Desert Junkyard and Desert Ruins this year that you can play on. But basically, it's a ground-based combat game. You're not on a grid of any kind. There's not missions, typically any in-depth missions that you do, like in a campaign. You are moving around with your units of multiple minis, typically, or single minis, um, using a ruler, very much like with X-Wing or Armada, to tell you where you're going, and keeping your troops within a certain distance of your leader of that group to make sure they all stay with unit cohesion and so on. Um, it's very much a war game in a way that Imperial Assault, even with skirmish mode in a lot of ways, never quite was. Mm-hmm. It plays very quickly, and it's really sort of the premium game out of these games. It's made for the hardcore war gamer in a lot of ways. The models themselves are of harder plastic than for Imperial Assault. They are also 
not assembled because you're expected to paint them mm -hmm. if you want to. There's even a painting guide in one of the core rule book or the core boxes, little rule books that it has teaching you how to paint uh, and styles to go with. But basically, you have to put these together with model glue and whatnot, then put them on the bases and whatnot. Um, but they're also more detailed than for Imperial Assault and uh, more varied. So like with Imperial Assault, if I were to get an expansion, say the villain pack for Stormtroopers, then I've got a deployment card that I can use to put out the Stormtroopers. And that card represents multiple troopers. It's just that that one card refers to all of their stats because they're all the same. Mm -hmm. And... What I'm going to get are Stormtrooper minis, multiple miniatures, but they're all going to be the same sculpt. They're going to look exactly the same. In Legion, if you get a unit pack, which is what they call them in Legion, with, a, with its unit card, which is like a deployment card, for X number of Stormtroopers, not only do you have a leader of that unit that looks different than the others, every single one of those supposedly identical Stormtroopers in terms of their stats looks different. Mm -hmm. They're all different poses. So you're not just getting you know, multiple copies of one mini for a unit, you're getting multiple copies of a certain type of character, but all the minis look different. Even when they do things where the core box has something that's then also released as an expansion, it's different. Like the core box included um, some speeder bikes, so like scout troopers on speeder bikes, and uh, a rebel on an ATRT. Then some of the first expansions, speeder bikes and ATRT, oh yay, we're gonna get the same thing again. No, they're posed differently. The right yeah, of them are posed differently. On the um, speeder bikes that I'm seeing in this image, one of them, one of the scout troopers is shooting behind him with a gun. Shooting behind him versus yeah. Them, um, which is difficult because they had some issues with the original production run when they sent it out. So I had to like say, hey, you sent me two of the same arm. I need you to send me the other freaking arm, uh. Uh, which happened to me a couple of times, actually. Um, so very different in terms of the quality level, You, but more expensive because you're paying for quality. The mm. – um. The scale is also more specific. So, for instance, in Imperial Assault, even the core game uh, comes with an ATST. But really, if it was to scale, then imagine one of the Imperial Assault characters curling up into like a cannonball, like they're jumping off a diving board or mm. fetal position, and just build a box around them. And that's basically what the cockpit area would be scale-wise for the ATST and the rest of the ATST kind of to scale around that. So mm -hmm. they weren't nearly as tall as they quote-unquote should be. Mm -hmm. With Legion, they're like, F it. We're going to make it huge. And it's going to be expensive. But it's much better scale. It's way taller. And you've well, got yeah. a scale um, snow speeder slash air speeder. Um, yeah. So when you look at like an ATRT or a speeder or anything like that, the size of the characters really does make sense of that's the size of the character using that vehicle. Uh, yeah. So much more elaborate, but more expensive for a game that plays out in a faster way that really more resembles, I would say, X-Wing than it resembles anything, say, from um, Imperial Assault in terms of its actual gameplay. Um, if you want to see it, I know Mark just sent me a picture of it through Skype, but on my YouTube channel, the last video that I did after the first wave of uh, content, I think it was the first wave of content that we got for Legion, because I, I cover all these products on the YouTube channel, um, was to show a comparison of the ATSTs in this versus Imperial Assault. So you can get a sense of the, the scale differences, because they are pretty enormous. Yeah, but, I mean, I that picture I shared, it's got the uh, snow speeder next to the ATST, and and then all the rest. It's wow, right? The scaling all is cool. to scale. 
to put it in perspective for those who can't see the image, imagine um, the ATST basically being the height of maybe two or three people, mm-hmm. as opposed to being the height of like shoot five or six. Yeah, it's right. probably yeah. six or seven. Looking at that, if that's Luke in the picture I shared you, it's got to be seven. <laughs> yeah, what you're see, what what he showed me is a picture that's basically um the little like the characters, but then also the speeder bike, the ATRT, the uh, air speeder, and the ATST, which are all part of um the first wave. So what did they release? They released the core set. They released the Rebel Troopers expansion, which again is Rebel Troopers all playing off a unit card, but all with different sculpts, unlike what you would have seen with Rebel Troopers for Imperial Assault. Stormtroopers, mm-hmm. another ATRT um, uh, 74Z speeder bike. And bear in mind that those Rebel Troopers, Stormtroopers, ATRT, and 74Z speeder bike are in the core set, but these are different sculpts and whatnot. Um, mm. The uh, T47 air speeder and ATST also in Wave One. We had those game mats I mentioned, and then they put out more. And it's kind of weird because usually with these games they'll put out like a balance of good and evil at the same time. Mm-hmm. What they're doing with these is they put out a couple of products at a time, but they're for one side or the other. And Ooh, then the so next balance one of power tips. Is an equip- yeah, yeah. So it tips a little bit, and then the next wave, the next little mini wave, is equivalent type characters for the other side. <laughs> um, so we got General Veers with Snow Troopers as two different packs in one quick burst of expansions. Then Leia Organa with Fleet Troopers. Then Han Solo with Rebel Commandos. Boba Fett and Scout Troopers. And when I say with, I mean two separate products that were released at the same time. Mm-hmm. We got the E-Web Heavy Blaster Cannon nice. paired with the release of the 1.4 FD Laser Cannon, which is that dish type one on Hoth. Okay. Palpatine with the Imperial Guards. Chewbacca mm-hmm. with Wookiee Warriors. And then... Uh, barricades, which is this little, um, like they're like they're, they're barricades, just an extra set of barricades yeah. in the core set. Though I would say that they also had a thing called priority supplies, which are little things to dot the battlefield and replace objective tokens with things like that look like evaporators or look like supply crates or whatever. Um, I didn't get that until very late. In fact, I think it was even the very beginning of 2019. But apparently, even though I pre-ordered it way ahead of time, they must not have gotten enough stock where I pre-ordered it because I didn't get it apparently when it first came out. I had to wait for a reprint of it. So apparently huh. it did come out in 2018 just in very short supply. So a lot of stuff for some pretty high price tags, but very good premium stuff for a game that for war gamers plays really well. And really, I think you could easily get into it's just the putting the, mod- the models together. That's kind of frustrating because to me, I hate that aspect of it. I'm not right. going to paint them. Just give me the freaking, you know, pre-built ones. It's nice to see all the details that I'm putting together, but I'm not great with putting them together. I went up with a little bit of, of a, not overflow, but a little bit of a, of, you can see where the, the glue is coming out a little bit. And I'll tell you one thing that, and it's a bit embarrassing as hell, but I'm still going to tell you this. Um, talking about my coordination doing this kind of stuff with teeny tiny parts. In the process of trying to get Chewbacca's little teeny tiny hand to connect to a little teeny tiny knob on his teeny tiny bowcaster correctly, I managed to glue both of my pointer fingers and one of my thumbs to Chewbacca. (laughs) And to get Chewbacca off not only ruined the figure and left skin on it, but oh. tore the skin pretty heavily off my fingers because my wife can't use nail polish remover because of, of what it does to her when she breathes it in. So mm. we have none of that stuff around. Oh. Soap, water, and a knife to free myself from Chewbacca, who I then had to reorder because I had ruined the miniature. I oh. hate this process. I loathe this process. But I want the minis, and I want to be able to play the game. 
So there is a time investment along with the financial investment to these. But if you can get past putting them together or painting them, even if you want to do that, mm-hmm. if you can get past the cost and look at the quality of it and the fun you'll have with the game, if you like the idea of an X-Wing style game or an Armada style game even on the ground, as opposed to the more step-by-step grid-based Imperial Assault type of approach, which again, play for the campaign, don't play for skirmish mode per se, then Legion is a fantastic game. I mean, it's a nice game that they launched this year, but by God, it's expensive and the setup process is tedious. You ain't going to open up the box and play when you you first want to play. You're going to open the box, put the minis together, and then play, Uh, by which time, you know, your hands are probably a little crusty from glue. Yeah, you know, when you said Warhammer, I mean, that that's that's it in a nutshell. If you only know of Warhammer, if that's the only kind of tabletop gaming you've seen in RPG shops and stuff, this is totally that. I mean, there's there's one I shared with you on, on our Skype chat with the ATST with a bunch of the troopers down in the snow, and it just looks awesome. Like, it looks like it's... I mean, you could tell that the troopers are standing on little pads. Aside from that... It would look like it's a scene straight up out of one of the movies, you know, barring detail, of course. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's probably the coolest thing about this game system. I'm with you in the aspect, though, that I'm not a fan of put-together stuff. Like, okay, I've got the paper ghost. I still haven't put it together because I'm afraid I'm going to pull what you did with Chewie and screw it all to hell. And so it's still sitting in its 65 sheets of flat paper waiting for me to eventually put it together. Um, you know, it, it would be cool if maybe they had versions that were a little bit more expensive that were pre-assembled and pre-painted. I don't know. I mean, well, I'm in that boat fair, with you I'm where pretty, I want it to look good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there are places who will pre-assemble these and paint them even for you for a cost. They're just not mm. Fantasy Flight itself. You know, there's like fan things. Because I remember when these first came out, there was somebody – I think it was when these came out that uh, they were pointing me to somebody who uh, who was already offering to do that for a fee. Just like with Destiny, if you wanted to get a full set of Destiny instead of buying blind booster packs, there were people that had already bought huge boxes of them, put together full sets and put them on places like eBay or were selling them otherwise. It's just an aftermarket thing, not the yeah. actual product itself. But I got to say, I mean, with the detail that are on these minis, they're pretty attractive looking anyway. I mean, it's not like it's going to be that huge a thing. Um, to play with them unpainted. But for some, it is a deal breaker. Like Michael, we were talking about this because this, again, this is all the Ballywick of Cloud City Casino. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this. We were talking about recent news and I asked him about the Legion stuff, you know, because we've talked about it quite a bit and he actually hasn't picked up any of it at all yet. And I asked him why. And he is so anal retentive about it in terms of the miniatures games that he plays, even the stuff he's 3D printing for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, that if he bought them, he would have to paint them. He'd be compulsively feeling a need to paint them. Right. And it's just another thing to have to do. So it became another barrier to entry for him. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that the barrier to entry would be me putting the dang things together because we're talking tiny parts. We're talking, like, on those speeder bikes, you know, the little stick gun thing under the bottom? You got to put mm-hmm. that on. Little thing in the mm-hmm. back that looks like it's like a hump. It's like somebody's got their backpack sitting on the back. You got to add that on separately. <laughs> Most of the characters, at least one arm, if not both arms, you got to put on. And you're probably going to connect at least one of the legs, too, or both. Um, they come out looking gorgeous. Like I said, they're incredibly detailed. But, man, it's a it's a pain in the butt. So, to me, that was almost a barrier but i'm still getting them 
I'm still enjoying the game. You know, it's, it's an enjoyable enough experience that uh, and they look gorgeous on display because they're too dang big to fit in some cases in my tackle boxes. So they're sitting on my bookshelves behind me, um, especially that ATST that I'm going to keep picking them up. But the painting aspect for some, it's funny because I don't think the painting aspect was anything for Imperial Assault with Michael. Mm-hmm. But they're not this super high quality separate pieces you got to assemble it kind of minis either. They're the minis you just pull out of the box and you play. Uh, in yeah. a lot of ways, even if they're cool looking, they're basically game tokens, not this is the focus of your play. You are putting your fancy crap against someone else's fancy crap. Right. Right. Like, like <laughs> I, you are putting your bank rolled bunch of plastic versus someone else's bank rolled bunch of plastic. <laughs> or to put yeah. it another way, you are putting your child's foregone college education, <laughs> their foregone child's college education. I'll take your Harvard and raise you a Yale. <laughs> Unless maybe, speaking of the RPG, you bought some of those uh, late print, low print run uh, Wizards of the Coast RPG books, in which case now you can sell them and pay yourself through college. <laughs> so, so, Nate, if you had to invest your fandom funds into one of the games we've gone over here, right? One game alone. Which one would it be and why? Wow. So I find myself torn. It depends on what I'm looking for. If I'm looking for something competitive, then I'm going to be able to go to a game shop, bust out my stuff, and play against somebody, and usually find somebody I could probably play with or arrange to play with in my area. I'm probably thinking X-Wing or Legion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Destiny even, but I much prefer X-Wing and Legion to Destiny, so I'm leaving Destiny out of that. But those games have a very vibrant scene right now. Mm-hmm. Lots of people playing it. If it were just, I'm going to play it at home and get as much enjoyment out of it as I can, I would say that probably the one that would stand out to me is Imperial Assault. But because for me, I'm all about story, and I love the campaign play of Imperial Assault, which mm-hmm. puts me in, again, the minority because most people who are out there playing it, or at least the ones you see playing it out anywhere, they're not playing the campaign with friends at the comic shop or the game shop. They're playing skirmish to kick each other's butts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, any of these are going, it's just a question of, of your style. Like if you want fast-paced Starfighter combat, you want X-Wing. If you want something more deliberate and less stuff to buy if you're trying to collect stuff, Armada's a good one for you. If you're wanting mm-hmm. uh, a campaign, Imperial Assault is great. If you're wanting ground-based combat in a more war game vein than board game vein, then go with Legion. I mean, all of these uh, would be great. If you like card games and you want to use the dice, then go with Destiny. It's just, to me, I'm not a fan of that particular model. Uh, Any of these Mm -hmm. are solid. I wouldn't necessarily put the RPG up there, but that's only because I'm not a big RPG guy. But for someone who's into RPGs, any of those Star Wars RPGs are really strong. It's just a question of your preference of type of player. I'd probably jump into Force and Destiny myself because I like the Force use, uh, with Edge of the Empire being the one I'd be least likely to jump into because if I'm not going to be a Jedi, I'm going to be a rebel, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But but yeah, all these are great. I mean, Fantasy Flight, even as much as I despise their their business model for Destiny because just the traditional TCG model, right? I mean, Mm. it's not like they invented it or anything. Um, I mean, all of their stuff has been very strong outings. I mean, even that little game, Empire vs. Rebellion, which is just a reskin of their KGB uh, CIA game from years back, that's basically glorified blackjack, is really mm-hmm. friggin' fun and well thought out. Um, they put out fantastic products. I put Fantasy Flight Games and Awaken Realms in the same category of badass game developers. Nice. Um, and Awaken Realms is the ones who made Nemesis, my, which is now my favorite tabletop game 
not just board game, but tabletop game ever of all time, period, hands down, no question. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's high praise for me to still be years later, even after product lines seem to be dying, to still be saying Fantasy Flight has done right by Star Wars fans, has done very well by Star Wars fans. Um, it's just we're seeing a different generation now. We're seeing X-Wing 2nd Edition instead of 1st or Armada, really. We're seeing Legion instead of Imperial Assault, Destiny instead of the LCG. Um, but they're opening up to more stuff because we have Outer Rim coming as a board game that nobody saw coming. Tabletop games are faring way better than Star Wars video games. Tabletop games under Fantasy Flight are in a renaissance for Star Wars in this age, no question. It's the video games that are basically circling the drain. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the one video game we didn't even really touch on that was putting out contact still is the old Republic MMO, which currently is still the only aspect of Legends that is continuing to grow, which will change next year, which we'll talk about in a second. The one thing we didn't talk about, though, in the books or the comics was the fact that in 2018 we did not get any legend short stories from the MMO website, which we had up until 2018. Uh, When legends became legends and all the books and the comics stopped, the MMO was still putting out the short stories online. Now, the game is still going on. There is still game content in that regard. I haven't been up on, I know, Nate, you haven't been up on it as well. But, I mean, we still have been getting that, which has been interesting. So I wanted to note the fact that we did have that that lapse we finally had no new written content for legends in 2018 but it seems like that lull that drying out of the desert made it miss the rain so much because in this year 2019 marvel is going to be putting out what is it number 108 of the original marvel comics line and i know when this first came out i had mistaken what they were talking about. I thought this was part of the original or the or the new ongoing line and that we had gotten to 108 and they're like, and for a special day, we're going to put out 108 of the original Marvel line. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. It's got to be canon. But no, they're actually going to be going back in 2019 and continuing a legend story. I mean, it might as well be Infinities or an L-level canon or however you're going to call it. I mean, it's not, it's not canon canon. I mean, this is definitely legend story. It's an S-Legends element of it they're wrapping up the story from the marvel stuff but it's just a one shot right there's nothing else beyond that but it does open up a world of possibility for future elements of legends to get that kind of treatment in comic or another form you know we've said before that comics would be one of the easier ways to go back to legends and wrap up some stories so having this even as a one shot I, i i see this as a silver lining you know i've always said after episode nine comes out and we've put the Skywalker saga to rest and we're no longer focused on that part of, you know, the canon, then we might be able to go back and start working on Legends. I mean, the fact that we've got Legends content being sold in its second, third prints and all that stuff, which is the Legends banner on it and it's sitting there right next to the shelf, throws that argument away about people not understanding one from the other. I mean, there's, you know, we, we can go forward here and have our cake and ice cream. And I think the fact that we're finally doing it with the Marvel comic is a, is a good sign. Yeah. Now, with the Old Republic, I would note that I don't think there was a whole lot of stuff in 2018, was there? I mean, the game itself is still ongoing, but I mean, I think, what was it, Knights of the Fallen Empire, whatever it was, was 2016, I want to say. Um, I think 
there's a there's been new stuff added. I know that they, I think it's Jedi Under Siege is the new one that they added, like right near the end of 2018. It is still going, um, but it, it doesn't seem like the content's coming as quickly, at least from the news that I'm seeing. But that's something that um, uh, since I don't play and Michael doesn't play, it's something we talk about when new stuff is announced on Cloud City Casino. But we don't delve too in depth with it because you don't have the uh, the hands-on experience as much. I played a little bit early on, but I'm not sure if he even did. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the idea of bringing back uh, Legends, so to speak, um, I'll say that it's honestly it's weird, right? <laughs> um, at least the way that they're doing it, because they're doing it to celebrate the Marvel anniversary, not an anniversary of Marvel's Star Wars stuff. It's just Marvel's anniversary, mm-hmm. and it's 108. But it's not actually a sequel per se to All Together Now, which was 107, the final issue in which Luke looks like Fabio. <laughs> Instead, it's a sequel to an earlier story from number 50, um, Crimson Forever. Which granted was a decent story. Mm-hmm. But it's a sequel to that. And it involves a bunch of different characters from all over Marvel. I want to say at least one of them is supposed to be dead by now. Um but we got these different characters that are all appearing in it, including uh, we have Amaze of Fox Train, you have Jackson, right, uh, uh, who will forever in my mind be linked to uh, the awesome performance in the uh, fan-made audio drama series of Marvels, in which I participated, um, mm-hmm. of uh, Andrew Gilbertson mm-hmm. as Jackson, which is amazing. And um, his great fan mail that he sent in as Jackson, <laughs> yeah. I still love that. <laughs> um, but uh, Valence is in it. Bylert Valence. And Valence mm-hmm. was a cool character. I liked the character of Valence back in the original Marvel series. But what's interesting to me is they've just introduced him into canon through Han Solo Imperial Cadet. So if mm-hmm. this issue doesn't wind up with the Legends label on it, it's going to confuse some people. Right. Oh my god, he just got introduced over here. Now he's here. But wait a second. Does that mean all the Marvel stuff is now canon? I, I'm waiting for those discussions from the uninformed. Right, but yeah. Nifty that they're doing it, but I think that people need to understand... And we got to be very careful. Why are they doing this? Marvel's anniversary. Are they answering the Legends has returned or Legends lives as the hashtag goes? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Legends lives for one issue of a comic that is right back to where it was before. Is that Legends living? Or is that somebody came by and went, clear, and it bounced for a second? <laughs> but, but I would say that... Um, that's a good one, though. Just saying. Um, you know, or it's like, a, what was that? Pushing, was it Pushing Daisies was a show where, like, you touch the corpse and it would come alive, or as soon as they touched you again, it died or something. Um, but I think about that, and I, it, I think it needs to be clear that's part of why they're doing it. And maybe they're answering some of the fan call for, hey, we'd like more legend stories. Mm-hmm. But this is something, and I posted this on the the Facebook page that we post to Twitter as well. So it's already been discussed a little bit. This is something done perhaps from this, this, Hey, we really enjoyed those stories too. We're going to put this out. We hope you like it. Kind of nod to legends fans. This is not being done because of the alt legends, people on the extreme. Yeah. Right. It is in spite of the people on that extreme. This is not, we acceded to your demands because you went out and were racist in attacking Kelly Marie Tran or giving death threats to people who dared to like multiple continuities um, and so on and so on and so on, right? This is not, okay, you were out there, pardon my French, being assholes. We now bow to the wishes of the assholes. 
Yeah. This is, you know what? We recognize there's a bunch of assholes out there, but we also know that that is a very uh, vocal minority. So you know what? Don't worry. Ignore them like we ignore them. Check this out. Here's something fun we can share together, in essence. Um, And it's not a full-fledged return to Legends by any means. No. But it's something. Kind of like those short stories for the Old Republic were something. But I feel as though something that's meant to be kind of a cool little one-shot thing is being blown out of proportion to some degree. And I don't want to see people get their hopes up. But at the same time – yeah, some will. But if it if it mollifies some of the hate out there, maybe that's a good thing. But it definitely is not something where, and I'm sure they will because delusional people will do as delusional people do, right. um, that people on the far extreme who will resort to threats of violence and things like that or trying to push someone off of social media using racist and sexist attacks, the people who are already on the extreme um, are going to look at this as a victory. See, we got what we wanted. Even in small form, they must keep going. You know, we've kicked in the door a little bit. Now keep pushing. Right. You didn't kick in the door, bruh. The anniversary tapped it open. Love of Legends on behalf of the people who actually created those comics and the fandom is what made sure that door was open for this story. The fact that you were sitting around swearing at the door had no (laughs) difference. What makes me wonder if... You know, if Lucasfilm or, or the story group or whoever on that side of things broached the idea, if it was Marvel that came forward with the idea, and if it's Marvel, right, and Marvel went forward with this, could Marvel then be like, you know what, we've checked our market, and that 108 sold better than any of our other Star Wars ones. We're going back to Legends. I wonder if they could do that. If I they, mean, I mean, they, typically the the people who are at the license get to make a lot of decisions about what kind of story they're telling. Heck, lately, the authors just get to kind of do whatever they want, screw the idea of a grand plan anyway. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you could see this as laying the groundwork. Because something I've always said is if you want to convince them to bring legends back, don't whine about it. Mm-hmm. And don't go out there being jerks about it or going to an extreme like the alt-legends folks. Not as Again, for those who are wondering what the term is, the alt-legends thing was something I came up with ages ago here on the show was the idea that just like the political right in the United States has to purposely distance itself from the alt-right in the United States, otherwise they're going to be painted with the same brush. The idea was that Legends fans have to distance themselves from the extremists uh, or risk being painted with the same brush, hence calling them alt-legends. This was before they actually had any features that resembled the alt-right, like the racism aspect. This was just a terminology saying, hey, you got to distance yourself from the extremes, otherwise people are going to see you the same way. but I've always said that you know it's not going to be the extreme that does it. It's going to be showing them from an economic standpoint, a business standpoint, why it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, this yeah, you're right. This may be like the Trojan horse or the Trojan whatever you would call a horse in Star Wars, right? Where it's hey, the Trojan EOP. won't <laughs> be a yeah. dumb animal. Um, Trojan bantha. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, they're the Trojan bantha, where it's slowly pushing the door open and. You know, it gives them the opportunity to make that business case. Uh, well, I, I don't have any of that original Marvel line, but I'm definitely going to make sure I get this one just because it's the only way I can support Legends. I mean, I could be playing the MMO game. I should be playing the MMO game, and yet I'm not. So, I mean, in that one regard, I'm failing Legends. I mean, you know, y- y- we were mentioning the whole Jedi Under Siege. You're right. It is the Jedi Under Siege. It came out uh, at the, in the fall, and it talks about, you know, the next phase of the Star Wars store timeline will kick off with a bang on the 
ancient Jedi world. Ravaged by a cataclysm centuries in the past, this beloved planet has been part of the older public stories since the original Tales of the Jedi comics, and we're really excited to bring it to life for our players in a new daily area with separate Republic and Imperial storylines. In this ancient world, we will see the return of several fan-favorite characters as well as the introduction to some exciting new characters, including a powerful Jedi veteran, not Revan, who will join the Republic players on their mission to protect the hidden Jedi base, and a deadly commando who will aid Imperial players on their mission to destroy it. And we also had, during this time, the return of Darth, uh, was it, was it Darth, what the heck, the deceived Dark Lord, I had his name in my head. Uh, Malgus. Malgus, yeah, I kept saying Malak in my mind, I'm like, that's not right! No, <laughs> Malgus, no, yeah, no. Malgus came back. The other one doesn't. Right? Barely. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I that's the one thing, like I said, I can't support this game because I just don't have the capacity on my computers to play the game, and I should invest in it. But I'm definitely going to go out and I'm going to get that 108, even though I have no idea what the story is about. But it's just exciting just to know that they're going that direction, and I hope that there is enough dollar revenue there that they start to think about it. I mean, I really, truly think that the best way to heal the rifts between the two different major factions of Legends and Canon fans is to give both groups an ongoing story in some form or fashion so no one feels like they've been left behind. Amen. Amen. Um, it's just, you know, we'll see if they do any more Legend stuff uh, after this and what happens when the Old Republic finally does die. Because there are... You know, rumors constantly that the game's going to end, but it's still going at this point. Um, but I can only imagine, you know, uh, thinking about the, the the extremes out there and Lucasfilm slash Disney slash Marvel slash Del Rey, et cetera, et cetera, that you have all these extreme things going, all these threats and whatnot. Um, and uh, the two points that spring to mind, one is simply a joke that I can imagine them being like Marty McFly. That everybody thinks that if they go out and call Marty Chicken, they're going to get what they want. Everybody thinks that they go out and they attack Lucasfilm and everything and be bullies, they're going to get what they want. And instead, it just happens to be the end of part three, and Lucasfilm and Disney just look around and say, he's an asshole. I don't have to do what Tannen says, and I don't have to do what anybody else says either, or <laughs> the haters or whatever. Um so in that sense, that's the thing that springs to mind is that eventually they're kind of like, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. So make a case that's going to convince. Don't just try to bully into what you want. Right. Um, that said, um, I would say, though, that making the financial case is tough for Legends, not because of the idea that there's just not enough people out there who would buy Legends stuff. It's making the case with the numbers now. Because mm -hmm. if you really get down to it, and I know we're, we've, we've stumbled into something that should have been covered probably the last couple episodes, not this one, since this was mostly the other stuff. But this is in the other category, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and that is that the people who want Legends back the most already own the vast majority of the Legends stories that they want. So when they put out reprints of old stuff with the Legends banner on it, we're not buying it. Because we already own that stuff. Yep. In some cases, we already own multiple copies of that stuff. So the sales numbers of those things probably will never be high enough to justify the idea of producing new Legends stuff. But something like this, 
giving something that is actually a new story that Legends fans can jump to where nobody already has it can actually show you sales numbers that, granted, they could write off and say, oh, it's an event thing. Mm-hmm. It's just the uniqueness of that one issue thing. It could create numbers that could be used to make that type of justification in a way that reprints never will. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense, you know, maybe it's maybe it's an opportunity. I wonder, though, if it needs to be something beyond just a single issue to make that case or if perhaps it would have been a better idea to do that in a book form instead of in a comic form. But again, it's to celebrate Marvel's anniversary. Yeah. Um, but do something to celebrate Marvel's anniversary that, you know, do it like Galaxy's Edge where you're going to have stuff that crosses between product lines as a celebration of this new ride thing that's coming or the, and, and this new theme park thing. Well, why not celebrate Marvel's anniversary and have the other companies do a tip of the hat and link some stories together and make an event out of right. just a few new Little Legends products? Because every step will show you, if you're doing it in different media, how that media might sell mm-hmm. if it was – to bring back legends again with the caveat that it is an event type of thing, but it's still going to be some data to go by rather than just the numbers of reprints that don't even touch the vast majority of the existing uh, legends fans out there. Extreme more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when is Delray going to have their anniversary? So maybe we can actually get a sort of Jedi book. (laughs) I have no idea, and I'm not looking that up. But yeah, I mean, well, you would think it'd be like on a Star Wars anniversary or something. Maybe in a 2021, when it is the 30th anniversary. Oh my God, I'm old. The 30th anniversary of um, the launch of the Legends continuity with uh, yeah, uh, Dark Empire book. and Heir to the Empire, right? That was her first appearance, uh, Jaina Solos. Yes. That, well, well, no, not in Heir to the Empire. Uh, actually, well, I guess. Yeah, I guess the kids do show up in Dark Empire. At least they're mentioned in Dark Empire number one, issue number one. I can't recall if they're in issue number one or not. They're in the series. I don't remember if they're mentioned in the first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, they, of course, don't show up until they're born in um, Last Command in the books. But you know, I think back on this and the anniversaries, and there's a part of me that has hope because they've done some anniversary stuff with books. But, man, you talk home video, and they keep missing anniversaries. 40th anniversary, they did nothing. 30th anniversary, they did nothing. <laughs> so it's kind of one of those things where I hope that whoever's driving the product line really sees opportunities with the anniversaries and maybe does something like that. Though right. I'm sure there are those out there saying, my God, it's like another two plus years or whatever, man. We need it sooner. But I don't know. I'm willing to wait if we get something that's good and actually does um, continue it in a real way and does it in a way that it's going to be, you know, I don't want to call it a satisfactory conclusion, given what yeah. that meant to the dark horse whenever they they ended stuff like uh uh there yeah, i don't want to know what happened to finn what's growing finn, in his yeah, stomach yeah, the finn. Uh, but i gotta say i mean there's there's some potential to be had there so i don't know i don't want to get my hopes up i don't want others to get their hopes up and i certainly don't want them to attribute this to the wrong source of motivation and somehow say it was the extremists or even really to a large degree the big voices of EU fans, because I'm betting that most of it was just, hey, what can we do that's cool for Marvel? Hey, remember we had these series back in the day. Wouldn't it be cool if type of discussion? But, you know, maybe we find uh, out maybe it's, it's one person thing. in Marvel and we're able to all send them a letter. Hey, you got to tell everybody in the company to do this again. <laughs> Man, I miss Jackson. He's so much more realistic than that, you know, Dr. Afra or whatever. Oh like, gosh. no, not my Afro, man. <laughs> uh, right? 
the one shining beacon <laughs> of canon. Outside of like Ray Sloan, that's that's actually an existing like book character they've done anything with. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe this is the thing that they don't realize that they're giving themselves the ability to someday justify something else. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, sales numbers are what drive it. You know, as creative as these people are, as great as they are at telling Star Wars stories in many cases, and in some cases not so much. Um, I mean, it's a business. Mm-hmm. They got to make the money. And if we can show them with this, that'd be great, especially if Marvel only puts it out with one cover. But what are the chances of that Um, to be able to not even be able to have them say, well, it was just your sales numbers were huge because of multiple copies, like with Star Wars number one. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Um, Like I said, kind of cautiously, I don't think anything big is going to come of it, but I'd be very, very curious as to the numbers from it and how they are interpreted by the powers that be, though I doubt we'll ever actually really know. Right. regardless of how good, good or bad they are. Well, I'm going to stoke this pipe, and I'm going to enjoy this pipe dream while it lasts. <laughs> Wait. Pipe dream. It's supposed to be that you're smoking something? It's all you going up in smoke. I am almost 40 years old, and I always thought it literally had to do with, like, a pipe of some kind. Like, I'm thinking plumbing pipe, and I never understood the freaking idiom. Are you telling me it's about a pipe and you smoking something and that's what gives you the dream? Yeah. I All this time you thought it was Mario and Luigi having dreams? I have <laughs> no idea, but I always thought, like, the pipe, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's just a phrase. It must be just, you know, something that's so old that I don't get it. I don't think I ever considered that it was someone smoking something. And no, folks, this is not me making a joke. <laughs> I'm that dumb. <laughs> I didn't realize it might have actually had to do with them smoking something. Uh, it's all about that quality of the strain. <laughs> <sighs> and that, I can't even blame that on this being nighttime because, my God, like I said, I'm almost 40 and I didn't figure it out. <laughs> right. I didn't think about it too hard, but I also never figured it out. Uh. <laughs> Well, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is literally the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars questions, Legends questions, or any other comments you want to talk about a past episode or anything like that, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because all Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. 
saying thanks for listening and may the pulse be with you. And don't quote us the odds that Mark is about to groan at this. Hey, Mark, hmm. I gave my friend a bantha for his room. He said, thank you. I said, don't mention it. wasn't too bad. <laughs> Look, sir, droids. These aren't the droids we're looking for. All right.